The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. We're up. Okay. Hello. How's it going? Good to see you, brother. What's going on? Not too much. We were just talking about how uh, we're a couple of right-wing psychos. Yeah, perceived <laughs> that way, at least. Perceived that way. It's so weird. People just have to lump you into one category or another, and if you're not completely aligned with the left, they'll just lump you in with the right. Yours is pretty easy to figure out, though, because you didn't endorse Bernie Sanders. Did you? Right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it should be like all of one second to figure out maybe you aren't. Uh, yeah, but that doesn't mean anything to anybody. It just It's just... We're living in the weirdest time. People just want to categorize people in a tweet. You know, they want to categorize people in 140 or 280 symbols. It's just uh, they just decide that you're this or you're that. That way they can categorize you as the enemy. Does that bother you at all? Do you care? I mean, I wish that they didn't. But what are you going to do? You know, I mean, does it bother? I mean, yeah, if somebody miscategorizes me or miss. mislabels me i guess it would bother me a little bit but that's just on them you know it's it's not who i am yeah i I, i'm a big believer in social programs i'm a big believer in welfare i'm a big believer in in taking care of poor people i'm a big believer in like social programs to clean up cities and there's there's a lot of shit that we should be doing in this country to to help people that are disenfranchised because it's not fair Anybody thinks it is fair that someone lives in a fucking crime-infested, gang-ridden inner city, and that's exactly the same as someone who grew up in the suburbs. That's crazy. Right. So that would go against what I think a lot of people would expect you to say. Yeah, but I also, you know, I'm a cage-fighting commentator. I'm a big believer in the Second Amendment. You know, there's there's a lot of reasons why they would decide to categorize me as a a right-wing person, but it's... It's not correct. And also, this all this ridiculous woke shit that's going on, this bizarre mind virus that's going from universities into t- tech companies and and the media and just fucking infiltrating people with these rigid ideas of what you have to say and not say and what you can and not say. It's like... That none of that is liberal. None of, none of that is really, like, open-minded or progressive. It's all just a... It's a cult. It, and... So if you go against it, the only thing you could possibly be is the other. So you must be like a MAGA supporter. My my main thing with it is if I know how you're going to answer a question basically before it's asked, which I think you can do with like almost everybody involved in politics, yeah. I don't trust you. And, <laughs> right. and, and you really can't. Like yeah. on both left and right, ask any question, you know what they're going to answer it. So it's like – you're not you're not thinking independently. Yeah, there's a lot of that, right? Like if you are on the right, I have to assume you're dismissive of climate change. You know, if you're on the left, I have to assume that you want a woman to have the right to choose, period. You know, and like there's like things like that. Like you are pro abortion or you are pro this or you are pro that. And, and that what's weird now is like if you're on the left, you're pro Ukraine war. You want to send, like, you're pro-military industrial complex getting funneled billions and trillions of dollars into their system to be able to create weapons to fight off Russia. And it's like, whoa, that's the left now? And really, that should have nothing to do with either side, really. No. Like, I mean, you, it how you feel about that, I don't think, should be left or right. I mean, that's a super complicated issue, to be honest. For me, at least, it's like Ukraine. Like, you don't want a country being invaded that doesn't want to be invaded. They're not Americans. But 
they are humans. Yeah. So it's like, what do you do? Well, like, what do you do there? It's a tough situation. It's very tough. And it's also very complicated, too, because there's NATO, NATO's involvement and pushing weapons closer to the border of Russia and, what, and trying to get, you know, trying to get the Ukraine to join NATO. And It's uh, like uh, Jack Ryan. The latest season Jack Ryan. It's literally sort of like yeah. that plot. But, yeah, no, there is no easy answer to a lot of issues. But it's just so black and white, and that, that's no good. It's none of it's good. This is a scary time to be alive. You know, um, uh, someone t- told me the other day that uh, Nostradamus predicted that there was going to be some sort of a World War Three. But it, doesn't that every year, like Nostradamus, how- though, just throws his hat on the field, <laughs> and it's like it's vague enough where anything can be true. Yeah. So everything he's ever said can be true. Right. Didn't he predict someone named Hister that was going to uh, start a world war? He he, he came real close with like Hitler. That's He's like been, have, you, have you seen the the <laughs> Titanic book the 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 book that was written about the Titanic before no. the Titanic? If you want to Google that, there is a, literally a book that is called like I forget the name of the book, but it's like the biggest cruise ship that will ever sail. It's going to hit an iceberg and it's going to sink. That is weird, but Nostradamus. I'm not buying the hype on him. I haven't looked into it now. If else. he has a guy named Hissler. What does it say? What fewer people have heard, a short novel called The Futility, The Wreck of the Titan, published in the U.S., writer Morgan Robertson, a novel that tells the story of the world's largest passenger ship, the Titan, and how it sank after hitting an iceberg, a novel published 14 years before the Titanic sank. That's pretty crazy. That's crazy. It's called The Titan. Yes, and and an iceberg. Wow. But I bet they hit icebergs all the time back then. Well, see, that's the Nostradamus theory, that if you do enough, like, I mean, you can at this point say pretty confidently there'll be another gigantic war at some point yeah the problem See, is how does yours stay lit just i don't keep puffing on it i told you i don't gotta get better at this i'm you're, not a big you're I a toxic you. masculinity guy you have to do toxic masculinity things not a huge cigar guy no you no like I, I mean i do like them but i don't smoke them a lot i kind of quit when i started my paper route we had a uh, cigar company called honeys something honeys so it used to be a paper route. I delivered it, and it was like our first advertiser. I'd smoke them when I drove the Astro van. I got so high, and I was just done with them. When was this? Uh, 2004. You had a paper route in 2004? Barstool started as a newspaper. So I used to like hand it out, and we had those little news racks outside subway stations. For 48 hours, I'd just jump in my Astro van and fill the news racks, drop them in bars throughout Boston. Really? Yeah, that's how it started. That's how you started? Yeah, it's a newspaper. Wow. Yeah. So okay. your own newspaper. Yeah. You- Wow. I'd wake up like 4 a.m., go to the subway, hand it out to people, like walking by me, just scream at them, like take the newspaper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was the motivation to do that? Like, so, how did you get the idea? I was always into gambling. And I, so I had a normal sales job. I always knew I wanted to try my own thing. Flew out to Vegas, met with like the casinos. They're all like, you got to be a dealer. You got to start at the bottom. I was like, I don't want to do that. Talked to offshore casinos and said, how do I get involved? And they all said, at the, the internet at the time I did this, if you went to a gambling site, fireworks, pop-ups, look like you're getting your credit card stolen. They actually said, get us off the internet, put us in a physical newsletter, and we'll advertise. So I sold like a year of advertising before we launched, and it was a gambling rag. It was like a four-page newspaper, but I sold the advertising, and it allowed me just to morph. 
So like during the course of the year, we slowly moved strictly away from gambling to more like men's interest, like girls and things like that. That's how it started. Wow. So when you were into gambling, like why did you decide to do a newspaper? Because I knew I wanted to do something I enjoyed doing. I was doing cold calling sales. I couldn't do that my whole life. And when I called these casinos to advertise, it's what I just said. The internet was cluttered. It was filled. It was a time when if you, it literally every gambling website had little graphics of fireworks popping up, everything. And the gambling companies wanted to get off the internet because it was too cluttered. So they, they said, if you do a newsletter or a newspaper, we'll advertise. So that's why I created it. How funny is that? They wanted to get off the internet. Off the internet. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Barstool Sports. Oh, my God. Look at that. 2003, the first issue of Barstool Sports. Yeah. Wow. Hooters football. First advertisers. Yeah. Hooters. <laughs> Hooters was your first. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Hooters is apparently in trouble. I just read something about Hooters is the, not doing That's well. the fake story? Is it a fake story? I don't know. The one that the that people aren't interested in tits anymore? Yeah. Well, that's a fake story. I don't know if that's, that's the not one. true. I think that that is that's a ridiculous conclusion. Like just because a business that has girls, you know, with uh, owl eyes over their tits, I don't know how they get away with it. I've always wondered that in this like culture, basically, where well, you can just hire on looks. Yeah, that is true, right? But th don't they do that in strip clubs too? Yeah, I mean they kind of do. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know how. Like, yeah, there's no equality in strip clubs. No, like some that, are better like, than others, but yeah, it's based on looks. Yeah, all that body positivity shit that out the window. <laughs> so how do you figure? Like, how do they get away with it? How does a restaurant get away with it? It's a good question, but it's the same thing in like those Chippendale shows. Absolutely. It's, yeah, I mean that's what you're selling. If that's what you're selling, you get away with it. Yeah, that must be the case. It is the case. It got. I mean, but it's not with models anymore. Like now, you can be an obese well, that, model. Yes, but that's also because you're selling clothes to people that are obese. Because well, there's a lot of people that are overweight. You can sell correct. them clothes. and I guess it's good to have an overweight model because if you're an overweight person, you buy clothes, like, oh, that would look good on me. It looks good on her. Yeah, it's half it's half public pressure and half business because, like, Victoria's Secret got basically bullied out of their fashion show and their entire model by only having, like, mo uh, like the perfect Victoria's Secret angels. They had to go plus size. Now- they did that because of public pressure or because of business decision or kind of both. You know, where they stuck their guns if they're like, our business is killing it. We don't care what you say. I don't know. I wonder. I bet it enhanced their business to have plus well, the, size. Correct. So a good, good business move. Are they doing it right? Are they doing it? I'm one of those guys. I don't think there's any uh, – I forget the word that I'm going to say. Um, altruism. I don't think there's an altruistic act in the world. I think every single thing somebody does is – even if it just makes you feel good, well, that's not altruistic. Right. Yeah, I've said that before about being kind and generous, that it makes you feel good. It's actually good for you, too. Correct. But it's still kind and generous. It's like just because like someone enjoys it doesn't mean it's not altruistic. It's just that there is a benefit to the person that does it, too. The, I, I think a lot of people have this idea of altruism that you only, uh, you're only benefiting the person you're helping, and that's the only real altruism. But I think it's you're also... Yeah, I mean, it it benefits you, but it benefits you and it just, it feels good. It's like, I think people look at, when people have ulterior motives, someone has, like, 
like charities bother me when I find out that the people behind the charities are making millions of dollars. That's the worst thing in the world. That is scary. That so freaks me out. We've almost so we've done a lot of charity through, and obviously, anytime you say do charity, it, it is self enhancing. But we've done a ton of charity, and it started. We did it with. Um, Boston Marathon. So we were in Boston at the time of the bombings. That's the first time we did it. And we don't really ever give our money to anybody else. We control it. We give it direct to the people because of what you said. Like, I don't trust charities for the most part. Yeah. There's just too much overhead. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you give to charities, there's a, there's a list of charities that you can find online where, like, you can see what their overhead is and how much money actually gets to the people. And it's a very small percentage yeah. in most of them. What's, like, the lowest charity in terms of like the worst charity for like you give them money and how much of it actually goes to the charity. Because some of them are pretty good, but man, some of them are shockingly bad. Like, you know, 10%. Yeah. Like, which is crazy. You know, and you got executives making six figures and. Yeah. It, it be, well, it becomes a business. It's yeah. no longer like a charity. Yeah, that's real common though. Like a lot of people freaked out when the Black Lives Matter people were buying mansions and shit. Yep. Well, I mean, yeah. rightfully so. Oh Make my god! Look at this. The Yikes. name game, a very commonly known and respected group, is the Make a Wish Foundation. This organization spends the vast majority of its donations on children. Kid Wish Network, however, it spends only three cents of every dollar collected on kids. But their website and solicitations are designed to look and sound like Make-A-Wish. In fact, they count on confusion to gather contributions. What? Do, uh, do we just bury Make-A-Wish? I no, hope no, it's not. it's not Make-A-Wish. It's this, this Kid's Wish Network. Oh. It's the one that's oh. copying Make-A-Wish. Kid's Put Wish Network. Put it on the record. Network. We're not, okay, so we're not burying Make-A-Wish. Make-A-Wish is a very respected group. That organization spends the vast majority of its donations. But the Kids Wish Network spends only three cents of every dollar collected on kids. Well, that just sounds like a, a group that may be trying to trick people. It is. Yeah. So they're designed to look and sound like Make-A-Wish. You, got a, you got a special spot in hell if you're doing that. Yeah, that's evil shit. Three cents on every dollar. And you're using a name. Yeah. I'm surprised. I don't know how you get away with that. Yeah. The Kids Wish Network. Yeah. yeah. What the fuck? Make wish kids wish. Three cents of every dollar. Yeah, there's there's a hustle in in advertising like that. There's a, there's definitely Yeah, a I don't know how that charities. would be a copyright. It should be. Maybe we just blew the lid off. I hope we did. Yeah. Cause you get something in the mail, Kids Wish Network, you're like, Oh, I wanna help these kids. And you may think it's make a wish. Yeah, which is a great organization. Great. Yeah, it's uh Which we almost just buried. Not really. Well, we were we were close. We were one. We were one <laughs> quick clear up there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why they they do it that way, so they can they can trick you, thinking they're a part of that. There's so many of those organizations. So that's that's like kind of a fake charity. But like for like, let's go to like the Red Cross. Like, how much of the money, like, if you donate to the Red Cross, how much of it actually goes to charitable interests? Do you care about anything you say? In what way? Like, I have one off the top of my head. I don't want to say it because I, I've heard many times that it's not great with donating, but I'm afraid to say it. Like, what is that? The Red Cross is proud that an average of 90 cents of every dollar spent invested in delivering care and comfort to those in need. The remaining 10 cents helped to keep the entire Red Cross running by supporting routine but indispensable day-to-day -day business operations. That's fucking great. Can I say one? And yeah, what? what yeah. But what if I... Red Cross is fucking great. This, yeah, Red Cross. I, I have one great. that I know that I've heard is not great. 
I'll check. What's the name? Wounded Warriors. Wounded Warriors? Yep. Really? That's the one why I didn't say it. But I love military cause. We've, but that's one I've heard is not ideal with getting most of the money out. Let's find out. Yeah. I mean. I apologize in advance if that's incorrect information. We'll just edit it out just to avoid trouble if it's it does, incorrect. It, it does say it has a good rating, but it also says scandal, and I have to investigate what scandal means, I guess. Like, we, we, we moved to, um, we, we, well, we've done a bunch. We did head, we do Headstrong, um, Fisher House. Wounded Warrior Project's top execs, execs fired amid, oh boy. Wounded Warrior Project's top execs fired amid lavish spending scandal. Fuck. So something there. What is the, uh, it's got an ad blocker, these motherfuckers. Mm, CEO, so it might have been just the people that were running it. Could be. They were fired by the charity's board amid criticisms about how it spent more than $800 million in donations over the last four years. The development was confirmed by Abernathy McGregor, a public relations firm hired to represent the veterans charity. The best effectuate these changes to best effectuate these changes and help restore trust in the organization amongst all constituents. Sees uh, WWP serves the board determined the organization would benefit from new leadership. Blah blah blah. What is it? What would what, what happened though? What uh, those guys do? And what, when was this article? Were, so this is twenty sixteen. Uh, says they were fired for uh, they were, how they fired by the board for criticisms and how they spent eight hundred million dollars in donations. Right, but they, did, does it say that they stole it? Like no, um, it just said there they it spent. Is. Nonprofit watchdog charity navigator says Wounded Warrior Project spends just sixty percent of its budget on veterans. Mm. The Marine Corps Law Enforcement Foundation provides more than 98% to veterans. Wow. Now, yeah, maybe just, it changed go, since then. Yeah, maybe it did. And also, I'd like to know, like, why. Like, maybe maybe there's some logistical explanation for why it, they have to spend so much money. I mean, what what does that mean? I don't because know. that's a cause. You hear the name. Yeah. And it's, like, we've donated tons of different military. That's the one you want to get behind right off the bat. Of course. Yeah. Just the way it says. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the same with like make a wish. Oh, kids. Exactly. Yeah, 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 for sure. Dying kids. Yep. Yeah. But that's the problem with fucking sleazy people. It's like they'll hide behind. Be- I mean, that's. You hear a lot of athlete ones, obviously. Like the Brett Favre stuff's crazy. Yeah, I didn't look into that that much because I'm not, I'm not the biggest football fan, but it looked pretty sad. Yes, very sad from what it seems like uh, the money that should have been going to the state was going to build a, uh, a volleyball court at the school because his daughter played volleyball yeah not great did, did and he was aware of all that certainly seems that way doesn't he also have like probably pretty significant cte did there was a thing about brett Favre, like he thinks he's had a thousand concussions a thousand yeah well that was him right yeah it was because it's just like every time any shaking could be a concussion, so he was considering like the definition of concussion to be like, well, then I've had thousands of them. Yeah, well, he's talking about how, tell me, how many times he's got his bell rang. Yeah, that is a concussion for the most part. It's certainly close to it. Is I've always had this question. You're an MMA guy, obviously. So the NFL, the concussion thing, I think is because if they start acknowledging it, really, they get they. They got to go all the way back in time and deal with ex players and things like that. Mm-hmm. MMA guys get hit in the face every two seconds. Yep. Are they just released? Is that why no one ever talks about concussions in MMA? But in football, it's a huge discussion. I think 
in football, it was never known, whereas in boxing, it was always punch drunk. Everybody always knew about it. So I think you thought going into it that this was a risk that you were taking if you wanted to be a fighter. So I think the thought behind it was, look, everybody knows what happened to Muhammad Ali. Everybody saw Joe Frazier at the end of his career. Everybody saw all these guys who could barely talk, who used to be these great, great fighters. And everybody who was aware, who's in the game, said, look, you got to talk to your fighters when it's time to leave. And you got to be aware of the risks, but you know what you're getting into when you get into it. You know, just like... You know, if a a guy is a BMX jumper and he does those flips on dirt bikes and then he falls and fucking breaks his neck, yep. like you know, he knew that that was that was. It's on the menu. yeah, I get it. It's you possible. you know the risk going into it. Where football, they I think they didn't know. Yeah, I don't think people really knew. And he hit it. Yeah. Adele hit it. Yes. Yeah. How did they hide it? I mean, they just. I believe they buried the surveys. At least from that movie Concussion with Will Smith. Yeah. I didn't watch that movie. Yeah. It, but I've seen that guy, the original uh, doctor that was the motivation of that movie. Yeah. I think they buried buried a lot of it, released their own, control it. I mean, I, I've had my issues with the NFL. I think they're like maybe the most powerful group there is. It's various players have filed lawsuits against the league for the concussions. Accusing the league of hiding yeah. information that linked to head trauma and permanent brain damage, Alzheimer's disease, and dementia. Some teams choose not to draft certain players in the NFL draft due to their past concussion history. And <clears throat> I think that's part of the problem moving forward with it a little bit is if you admit it or change, you have this laundry list of lawsuits that can yeah. come forward then. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But, but the more the information comes out, it kind of kind of traps them. It's like, what are you going to do? Like, you have to admit that all those other players... Yeah, well, I think, according to what we just read, and from the way I understand it, you got to slant it like it's new information. Mm-hmm. Like, well, we didn't know, so you can't... We didn't know that, so how can you hold us responsible? If they can prove, well, you did know that, and you hit it, then I think you had a lot of issues. When did they know? When did they first find out about I think it? a lot of that's in the movie. But there's different studies. The and NFL tried to intimidate scientists studying the link between pro football and traumatic brain injury. And this is in 2017. Rather than honestly deal with its burgeoning concussion problem, the National Football League went after the reputation of the first doctor to link the sport to degenerative brain disease. He named chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Mm. So it was back in 2002. And I that's, think that's the, the guy doctor. That, yeah. yeah, Dr. Bennett uh, Omalu. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's real, man. And I think with football, it's probably even more pronounced because if you think about what they're doing, they're running full clip into each other. So you have these giant super athletes, 300-pound guys capable of generating preposterous amounts of power and force. And they're just fucking... Yeah. Boom! The flip side, I think 99% would sign up for that anyways like i've always said that if you told me i could be one of those people now maybe not now because i i don't know about you like i, ne- I didn't dream i'd have the life i had now but for 99.9 percent of americans i would think being a star athlete football player is worth that risk i think most of them if you said you may get a concussion you may get brain damage from doing this they'd still probably do it i mean you live 
a life uh, that you really can't compare to from what you're when you're 15 years old or whenever you start being that athlete to well into your 40s yeah the end of your life is going to suck but not people people don't look forward to that like people don't worry about what's going to happen to them generally when you're 20 at 50 yeah they don't think about it they also think about jimmy buffett quote content to be living and dying in three quarters time yeah that's that it's like live your fullest when you can live yeah and that life I mean, the, the life of living a star NFL football player's life, that's a crazy life. You're driving around in a Rolls Royce. You got diamonds on you your everything. fingers. You, like Joe Namath showing up with a fur coat yeah. on. Like, you're so the fucking man. If someone said, you can do that, but at age 50, you're going to have unbelievable problems. People don't think about that. And I would generally, I even now, that most people would sign that contract. If you told me I was still cold calling my nine to five, I'd be like, sign me up. I'm yeah. not worrying about 50. Yeah. And they also think by the time I'm 50, someone's going to figure out how to fix that. Yes. There's always like this thought of like medical interventions, stem cells, yep. and hyperbaric chambers. Everything. And, your, yeah. your office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> come, come to Joe Rogan's office. Yeah. I think that, um, I think that, People don't generally think about the risks in terms of the future. They think, how do I feel right now? You know, especially fighters. And the glory of winning a fight, the glory of getting your hand raised, it's so above and beyond normal life experiences that even guys who have, you know, taken some shots and and probably do feel the effects, they take a few months off and they want to get back in there again because it's so much more exciting than regular life. I've been blessed at this point with things that I never thought I'd be able to do ever walking in with Patty I got to walk in with Patty in London when the crowd was chanting his name that is still like maybe the best thing that I've gotten to do I can't imagine (laughs) being a fighter like in the tunnel coming out there is nothing really else like it in sports and anything the walkout no there's nothing like it I saw you by the way you roll your eyes when Patty won shouldn't have won I thought that I thought it was a close decision. And I thought Jared won. I thought I thought Jared Gordon won that fight. Did but you see? It was a good fight. It, was, it certainly wasn't a blowout. It wasn't one of those fights where there's no fucking way. Uh, it was it was a close fight. Did you see the fight? The Twitter war I got in with um, a guy after the fact. No, Justin Gaethje. Oh, Justin Gaethje. Yeah. yeah, he and I. He threatened to beat me up. Well, he definitely could. That's by the way. That's not saying much. Like your producer could beat me up. So I don't. That's not much of a threat. I've never been in a physical altercation. He's in my life. the most violent man in MMA. Justin Gaethje's a is, fucking savage. Is is he capable of beating up a civilian? Would he? No, he wouldn't do that's that. That's good to know. No, he wouldn't do that. He's not stupid. Because th- this is what happened after the fight. Patty in the ring. Fight of the night. He said, "Fight of the night." The third round, they didn't throw a punch. It wasn't fight of the night. But he's he talking fight of the night. Patty's our guy. Well, he's just a fun guy. Yeah. So we're saying fight yeah. of the night, fight of the night. He got mad at us. He's like, you're trying to steal money from the actual fighters who won fight of the night. We're like, no, he didn't. People went into his background and and wait, what did he say exactly? What was his quote to me? He said, uh, embarrassing. What was the no? He something we got to be better. We don't stand for this. People, the comments littered. He was out with like a third world like dictator. 
Oh, the Chechnyan guy. Yeah, so I hit him back with that. I'm like, yeah. I, I, you know, we just said Patty was fight of the night. You were out with a, the Chechnyan dictator who's one of the worst guys on the planet. One thing led to another. He threatened to beat me up. Mm. Yeah, yeah, mm. Barstool guys. This makes the Barstool guys look really bad. Bending over for the lad. Fight of the night. Barstool can give him 50K, but that performance will never get you a bonus in the octagon. Eh. Yeah. I quote tweeted, this makes the bar stool guys look really bad. I said, so, uh, it's probably there. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. There it is. People are telling me that Justin Gaethje was recently seen hanging out with a warlord accused of brutal crimes against humanity, so it's hypocritical for him to say we look bad supporting Patty when he supports a warlord. I'm going to take the high road, plus not mention it. <laughs> yeah, and then he got mad at you for that? Yeah. Yeah, he's like I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't do that. Find me a picture of me with the warlord. But he does have a picture with his son at his birthday party. Oh, so he maybe he got paid to go there with some other guys. There's a lot of guys who got paid to go there. A lot of guys go there. Yeah, he's been doing that for years. He's a big MMA fan, and he brings over champions. And I guess they. Hang what are your out thoughts on that? I don't know exactly what he's done or what he is uh, accused of doing. I think it's pretty I know bad stuff. Chechnya is a, a brutal part of the world. There's some fucking crazy shit that's happened in Chechnya. I mean, that's where Hamzat Shemaev is from. It's uh, and Hamzat trains with that guy. He's like, there's videos of him like wrestling with him and grappling with him. Yep. And I know that he's been involved in uh, with a bunch of MMA fighters. That's his thing. You know, he's uh, he's fucking savage dude he brings over savages it's know? a savage game yeah yeah the warlord game <laughs> yeah yeah no yeah. the warlord third that's a savage game yeah it's a that's an interesting decision right to decide to go over there and many fighters have gone over there and others haven't like yeah. when we did that some fighters were like well i think um sugar sean yeah he said he got off yeah he yeah. wouldn't go sugar sean's the man yeah he's like fuck that i'm not fucking going there yeah, I mean, <clears throat> how much is he offering you? Probably a lot, I would guess. I wonder. Yeah. Because you have to know. You got to know. That that, right. Yeah. I mean, he's out there shooting guns on his, like, ranch or whatever. Yeah, it's not like, he's a warlord. Yes, it's not, there's no other way around it. It's not a, there's no confusion. <laughs> None. <laughs> You're like, maybe None. he's not. Maybe it's propaganda. You know, it's like when you hear things about Zelensky. You know, you're like, well, he seen, he started off as a comedian. You know, like there's like there's room, there's wiggle room. He's being attacked. Yeah. What is there something where the Ukraine is cracking down on the media? Somebody sent me something about the Ukraine, uh, Ukraine trying to control the media now. Are we anti-Ukraine? No, no. Oh, why no. would they crack down on the media? Well, I think because of the war effort. You know, if the media is saying things like, oh. You know, Ukraine is corrupt or, oh, Ukraine has done this. <clears throat> Critics say a new media law signed by Zelensky could restrict press freedom in Ukraine. Lawmakers who passed the bill said it would help meet European Union conditions for membership. But journalists have denounced it as a move towards censorship. Oh. Imagine if you have to, to join the European Union, you have to fucking... What is that? Some of the law's most stringent provisions were relaxed in response to the criticism. 
Serious concerns about the independence of the regulatory body remain. Domestic and international news media groups said on Friday, noting that they were still receiving details of the final 279-page legislation. The law expands the authority of Ukraine's state broadcasting regulator to cover the online and print news media. That's not good. Previous drafts gave the regulator the power to fine news media outlets, revoke their licenses, temporarily block certain online outlets without a court order, and request that social media platforms and search giants like Google remove content that violates the law. Well, you know, they're doing that over in America. I mean, we found out that because of the Twitter files. When Elon released all the Twitter files, they found that the United States government was actively trying to suppress the voices of certain people that were saying things they found disagreeable on Twitter. Yeah, that, to me, fact. yeah, I, now I got attacked for this take. I said that was like a, and I get it, obviously, but I assume that was like a no duh to me. Like, I, I, that's what I expected. Right. Like, I, I wasn't, like, I get suppressed like the second elon took over my twitter and i'm sure i don't know if you use twitter but mine went way up like, i got nine hundred thousand new followers yes. in like a couple of weeks correct so it was i crazy i didn't get to that but i i direct up arrow like yeah. i went from couldn't gain a follower to right. up you're being so, suppressed it, it, and i knew i was so yeah. i wasn't surprised that's why i was like oh that's not surprising if you're paying attention i got attacked people don't pay any attention they acted like i was on the left on that it's like no i was one of the ones being suppressed i'm yeah. just saying yeah, no shit. That's what they do. Yeah, I don't complain about that shit, but I'm definitely aware of my Instagram used to move way quicker. Same. And then something happened a while back where it slowed down by a significant margin, the amount of growth. And I'm like, how do you complain when you have 16 million followers? Like, do you really complain that you're not that you're somehow or another suppressed, or am I really suppressed, or maybe it's because I'm not doing reels? You know what? Maybe there's like a log logical reason for it. I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of fucking algorithms and weird shit at play when it comes to uh, Instagram and all I those think social media companies. Also, it's not only the handpicking of people, but there if people complain if they just this is offensive, this is whatever, there's a certain number of those that will trigger you to get pushed down. Now, for whatever reason, one thing that also I think is kind of self-evident, if you're talking left and right, the left is far more savvy, like with social media. Like no. the, the right will generally just wants to sling it out. They'll, they'll let you say anything and they're not going to complain and they're not going to try to violate like, ooh, that's a violation complaint. The left will, and it's a good tactic to get the right off. But it's also because the left is in control of all of the social media platforms 100%. where the right has nothing. 100%. I mean, there's no social media platform. I mean, there's people that are trying to accuse Elon Musk of being right wing, but I think that's just because Elon Musk has said that Democrats are out of their fucking minds. He's said what I've said in many different ways. Now, I don't know how I, I go back and forth on how I feel about Elon. Sometimes I think he's genius. Other times, like, he may be getting a little full of himself. Like, I don't think he bought Twitter for the reasons he's saying he did to be some great humanitarian. I think he could try to, he bought it because he got mad almost, and then he tried to get out of it. But they held, that's the other thing. Like, stop complaining on the left. They, he tried to withdraw from buying Twitter, and the CEO or whatever stuck him to the price because it made money, and they got a great price. So, they got a ridiculous price. Ridiculous. He gave them way more when it's worth. And he had a mindset of going into it. There was two things going on. One, he believed that it's it's very bad for democracy in general when you have suppression of free speech. And I agree with that. He really means that. And he sees it happening to him, 
right? And so he sees it happening to people that he knows and people whose voices he's respected. And he saw that, like, uh, the Babylon Bee got banned. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. Crazy. For calling Rachel Levine the crazy. man of the year. Yes. Yeah, a crazy. biological male calling him the male of the year. Like crazy. That, that, that's, that, that's crazy. Yeah, that, that's so offensive. It, the that, Babylon Bee getting kicked off, crazy. Yes. Yeah, so he was like, well, that's enough. And then the reason why he tried to pull out of it, he's like, they're not giving me data on the actual amount of fake accounts. Correct. There was an, a former FBI guy. Pull up that story, Jamie. This former FBI guy estimated the actual amount of fake accounts on Twitter, and he was like, it could be as high as 80%. So if you're buying something, and they say, well, it's 95% people, it's 5% boss, but we're trying to figure that out. And he's like, how are you trying to figure that out? Show me. And they won't show him. And he's like, show me your data that shows you. And they right. show him 100 accounts. They went over 100 accounts. Uh, over 80% of Twitter accounts are likely bots, former FBI security specialist, which is fucking wild. So if that's like 20% of the people on Twitter are actual humans and 80% of it is propaganda, either by publicity firms or um, super PACs or whoever the fuck is trying to manipulate narratives. And one of the things that you saw with Elon was like there's a bunch of tweets that people retweeted. They're from wildly different accounts that were all the exact same tweet. And he's like, these are bots. Like these are there's a thousand percent bots. Yeah. I mean, I went so through a phase like you. I couldn't even if I posted something, it was all bots. Yeah, hundred percent. So I don't just there's a million percent bots. They probably weren't giving the right information, but he did want to pull out. Well, I think if they found out that information, this Twitter would be worth substantially less. Right. And that's also what he was trying to do. He was, I think he was trying to probably talk them into a better price. Because if you, if you find out that a company is 95% horseshit right. or 80% horseshit and 20% what they say it is, like if that gets out, but that's he also, devastating to the company. 100%. He also has such fuck you money, though. He was upset about the suppressing, and I'd probably be the same way if I had that type of money. It's like, I'm just going to fucking buy you. Like, yeah. And that's essentially what he did. And I do think, like you said, the bots and going back and forth, he wanted to get out. That's the one thing, though, the Twitter pro Twitter, everyone's like, I'm going to get off my – my dad was one of those guys. I'm leaving Twitter. It's like, what are you talking about, dad? Why was uh, he leaving Twitter? Because Elon. My dad my, – <laughs> so my dad, which people – my dad is like a, a very liberal guy, like hated Trump. Hates him. Hated him before he became president. Just hate him. So I interviewed Trump, and I FaceTimed my dad. I tried to keep it a secret, and I, like, FaceTimed him when I was doing it just to see my dad's reaction. He turtled. My dad turtled when he saw him. He's like, <laughs> oh, hi. But, I mean, he, he hates him. Hates him. But he's one of those guys. And my dad's one of those guys. So it's been interesting with my dad because I have been relentlessly attacked by the left, and he is a left guy. So – we get in these little things. I'm like, do you still think the New York Times is like unbiased? And and he can't answer. He's like, well, do you think Fox News is unbiased? I'm like, right. no, definitely not. But do you think the New York Times? He has a very hard time bringing himself to it. But it mm. is eye-opening for him, I think. I think it's eye-opening for a lot of people. But for a lot of people, for a long time, that, informa that information never got to them. They didn't really know. That, that's one of the most substantial and significant aspects of Elon buying Twitter is these files being released where you're getting to see the actual involvement of intelligence agencies, the actual like banned lists and blocked lists and shadow banned and how they're suppressing 
people's signals. It's pretty fucking wild shit. And it's almost entirely done to people that are on the right. Yeah. And, this, and then the people that are on the left that are dissenters, right? The people that uh, went along with the Great Barrington Declaration and didn't think that we should shut the country down during the pandemic. And the Great Barrington Declaration. Was, I have no idea what that is legitimate scientists like top of the food chain epidemiologists virologists who said that we are handling the pandemic absolutely wrong and then there is internal emails and memos from fauci calling to publicly discredit these people who were legitimate like absolute top of board scientists that were saying that this is not how you handle a, a, a viral pandemic and that we don't need to do it this way and they were suppressed yeah they were See that's one of those issues that will get, I know for a fact, you suppressed on social media. Like COVID was yeah. the all time. Like I, I went back and forth on it. And because I, in the beginning, like the wearing the masks, I was like, I don't, I don't know if there's science. I don't know if it's true. I do know this. If there's a point zero 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 one percent chance it can get COVID or whatever they're saying gone, I'll wear a fucking mask. What do I care? It doesn't matter. I don't think they should shut down business. I thought it was totally up to them. So I, I became pretty pro small business, let people make their own decisions, but that that slant will hurt you on social media. Yeah, it would then more than it does now, but as time goes on, more and more information comes out about how deceptive they were about their studies and how many actual risks there are involved in the vaccines and how much damage it did to small businesses. and. All that shit, when that starts coming out more and more and more, there's so many people that had this, like, dug their heels in stance on what is right and what is wrong, and now they're being forced to reevaluate. And it's also, they're, they're confronted with the overwhelming evidence that pharmaceutical companies have been doing this forever. They've never been honest about stuff. They've always hid information. Not only have they hid information, they've actually, the way they run their studies is so fascinating because when, a, when, when you know you hear like uh, peer-reviewed studies, the, the scientists that value peer-reviewed studies from pharmaceutical companies don't get the data. They get the review of the data by the pharmaceutical companies and then they study that. So do you trust anybody then? Like, even here, we're pulling up articles, and who knows who wrote these articles? Yep. I've always said about me, there's articles that we could pull up on me, and I'd read it, and I'd be like, this guy's Hitler. <laughs> like, honestly, they're that bad. You And if somebody just read it and didn't do it, they'd be like, this guy, no shit, this guy's the worst guy on the planet. Right. But it, so, But that's you, why freedom of information is so important, and freedom of expression is so important. Because you've, you've got to be able to find out what's true and what's not. And the only way is you get differing opinions and differing perspectives. If someone could write a very biased perspective on you and they're doing it on purpose. It's a hit piece. They're trying to make you look bad. But then someone can write a glowing review that might ignore some of your flaws and some of the things you have done. And that's not real either. It's like you need to sort it out over time. And the only way that gets done is through freedom of information, freedom of expression. And if we don't have that, we're fucked. Because right. then whoever's in control of the media, who's ever in control of social media or whatever the narrative is, they're the ones who get to dictate what's real and what's not real. And you can convince a lot of fucking people that things aren't true. Yeah, so do you try, like, if you're trying to read up on something, I'm talking now the major, like, outlets. So whether it be a, you go on Twitter, your Facebook, but I'm going New York Times, Washington Post, they're one side, Fox News is the other. Is there any place where you're like, I'm going to get a clean slate? Not from, I don't think from mainstream media. 
I think, first of all, mainstream media is so controlled by advertising. There's so many, like, if you know that 75% of all advertising on television is pharmaceutical companies, 75%, that's a big fucking number. Mm -hmm. If you think that they are going to have an unbiased, negative perspective on pharmaceutical drugs or the pharmaceutical industry, that's not going to happen. That they're going to suppress that because that's bad for their business. It'll shut them down. If they lost 75% of their advertisement, they would fucking go under. Think about a company like CNN, right? CNN is already hemorrhaging money, hemorrhaging viewers. I mean, they've dropped radically since Trump left office, right? If they came out and started attacking pharmaceutical companies and they lost all their ads, then right. they're, they're fucked. So you're not going to get a, an unbiased really honest perspective on anything that has to do with pharmaceutical companies when it comes to CNN or when it comes to any of these mainstream news platforms that rely on pharmaceutical companies for ads. You're just not... It's right. Like, well, I mean, I don't think any of those are. The, the ones you just mentioned. I mean, I'm super jaded now at this point, but... And then you have ideological perspectives. You have the people that are in these ideological camps where you this is this and that is that and you can't differ from you can't like have any sort of nuanced perspective or look at people that have a different point of view in a charitable way right. you can't do that because then you're a sympathizer or you're a, you're platforming these bad and evil people and you're carrying water for there's all these stupid fucking phrases that they like to use it's crazy how quick yeah. they jump yeah yeah but also, they're fucking dying, too. Like, all those media companies, nobody trusts them anymore. And the reason why nobody trusts them anymore is because they're not trustworthy. Yeah. It's not, it's like, it's real simple. It's real clear. It's not like fucking, you know. So you, you last that cigar with one light up, huh? No, I, I had to hit it a second time. Okay, good. I hit it with this little lighter. I just, it wasn't as loud. <laughs> good. Yeah, it goes out. I think that, uh, you know, it's an interesting time, though, because it's caused the emergence of... Uh, you. Well, the, me, yeah, but also independent journalism. Like guys like Matt Taibbi, guys who were with these corporate news structures who left, and now they're doing it on their own. Glenn Greenwald, uh, you know, uh, Crystal and Sager from Breaking Points, all these kind of people that you can trust, because even if you don't agree with them, mm -hmm. you know they're not lying. That's all I need. Same. You can you can have opinions that I don't agree with, and I I one hundred percent support your ability to do that. I don't want to I don't want to suppress people I don't agree with, but I want you to be honest. I want you to tell me what the actual data says, and I want and even if your perspective on that data I don't agree with, at least I know you're telling me the truth. That's all I need, and there's not a lot of that in mainstream media, and that's why mainstream media is dying. It's too contr it's controlled by these corporate interests that really care more about money than they do about anything else. Then, then, like, if you think that, like, the Washington Post or the New York Times is really just about getting out the truth, that's not real. No, and those two are extreme examples yeah. at this point. They're, they have an ideology that they but adhere I didn't, to. And, and what is – I don't know what the right word is. I, if I wasn't doing what I was doing, I would still – because I don't pay enough close attention, I would still sort of believe the New York Times 100%. was, like, a, a real thing. I yeah. just grew up New York Times. Oh, yeah, why would they have – if I didn't have a podcast and I didn't talk to people all the time and talk to people from different walks of life and d different perspectives and uh, different careers, I would have no idea. I would have no idea. If I was just a comic, I wouldn't, I would kind of vaguely know that they're probably corrupt, you know, vaguely know that they're full of shit. But if I read something, I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. I would just take it at face, yeah. face value. Same. 
especially if you have a regular job where you don't have the time to be looking into this shit, you're, you're busy all day, and then maybe you have a family and obligations and bo- fucking bills that are piling up, and you don't have the time to be sorting out whether or not the Washington Post is being honest about gender-affirming care. And then um, on top of that, what like Twitter is not the real world. It's right. important, but you step outside, you walk down the street, and most people don't even know what's going on at Twitter. There's right. just it's you we're in it, so you see it and you you pay attention to what people are saying. But I, I always if I'm in the center of a controversy, something's going on, I focus like, oh my God, the world, everything's happening here. And then you go outside, nobody knows. I think Twitter's radioactive. I think that you can stay in it and you'll get sick. That's what I think. I think, but if you just visit briefly and get the fuck out of there and then take care of yourself, you're going to be all right. Yeah. (laughs) But I I don't think it's good for people. It's the old uh, Ricky Gervais. He's like my favorite comedian of all time. He had a quote. Do you like Ricky Gervais? Yeah, he's great. He had what was the, uh, he has one about Twitter that the, Someone posts something in a town square. I'm botching his line. It has nothing to do with you, but people run up to it just to complain about it. That's kind of it. It's, yeah. It's, talk, it's an echo chamber. It's a type of toxic. It's also, I think, legitimately bad for mental health to communicate that way. To communicate just through text, and it's almost all of it is aggressive, and almost all of it is insulting, and almost all of it is disparaging of people. The, the, the amount of like anti or negative tweets versus positive tweets. I mean, I wonder if anybody's done a study of that. Like, how much negative tweeting versus positive tweeting? Probably, I guess, like 90%. It's probably somewhere like that. It's just bad for you. It's bad for you to... If you if you went to a bar, and every time you went to a bar, people were fucking arguing and screaming at each other, you'd be like, fuck this bar. 100%. This ain't fun. I want to go have a good time. I don't want to be around these people. It's, it's not a normal way for human beings to communicate where they're not looking at each other across the, a table, having a drink, just it's looking at each other as another human, yep. appreciating each other as a person, a human being. When you just see text on a screen and you're like, I'm going to fuck this guy up and you go. And it's easy to do it. Yeah. You can say whatever you want. And yeah. the, it, 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 there's been plenty of times I've seen examples where someone tracks down like the commenter mm-hmm. and then the commenter apologizes oh i didn't know you'd see you know it's a different yeah, it's a different course. mentality when of you get course. to that of course it's not normal humans are supposed to communicate with words in front of each other that's how we're supposed to that's how we're we evolved that's what we're capable of understanding and appreciating you know and you know when someone's bullshitting you and you know when someone's like got a secret agenda you're like this guy's kind of a creep <laughs> you know you, you get it you know yeah. and then you get some people like i really like talking to that guy and then you can't wait to talk to him again and then you kind of have an agreement when you see each other, you know that he likes you, and you know that you like him, and you know he's a nice guy, and he knows you're a nice guy, and you gen- let me buy you a drink. All right, let's have a drink. And you and never you, know yeah. who you're talking Twitter. Yes. It's like you could be getting worked up on what like an eight-year-old says. You have Easily. no idea. Or a bot. Yeah. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. And there's you know these Macedonian fucking troll farms where they have thousands and thousands of accounts, and they're just trying to undermine democracy 24 hours a day, and they're literally being state-sponsored to do that. There's that, too. And that riles people up. You know, they found out that like 19 of the top 20 Christian sites on Facebook were run by troll farms. No, I didn't know that. 19. So there's 19 out of the top 20 Facebook Christian pages that are not real. All they are is riling up people against whatever it is, Islamic people or gay people or transgender people, whatever it is. They're just trying to get people to argue about shit, getting people angry about shit. It's really easy to do that, too. Very yeah. easy. So the, I think the solution is post and ghost. 
Post shit that you want. Don't read the comments. Get the fuck out of there. And don't engage in back and forth disagreements with people on that. It's I don't. So much easier. I don't, but so much easier said than done. So many people. You preach that. It's hard to do. It's very hard to do. And also, like, I have a podcast, so I can actually sit down and talk to people, which most people don't have, right? So you don't have that opportunity to, like, work things out with someone and try to find out what they really feel and what they believe face-to-face in front of them. Right. It's the best way to talk. It's the best way to communicate ideas. And so I don't communicate ideas in a piss-poor way because I think that way sucks. And so if I get to do the best way all the time, which I do, why would I engage in the worst way? Like, just back and forth with people on Twitter that just want to make you feel bad. Like, not interested in that. Do you have any dream guests? No. None? Mm-mm. Never? No. I don't like talking to people. I don't care who they are. I mean, I like talking to my friends. I like talking to, I had a lady in recently that was a beekeeper. I, uh, fucking, I saw that. I had a guy the other day that uh, he, he has a giant piece of land, Alaska, and they're finding woolly, saw that. woolly mammoth bones. Like, that. I like that. That's what I like. I like talking to fighters. I like talking to you. I like talking to whoever. I just like talking to people. It's fun. I I like seeing how different people see this world. It enhances my perspective. I've gotten through this podcast a very unexpected and uh, accidental education. That's what I think. So because of that, like I don't have any desire to communicate in an ineffective way that makes me feel bad. Mm-hmm. And read a bunch of mean things that people say about you and just go back and forth with them and like saying things that's not true. It's like, ugh, you're welcome to have your thoughts. Good luck. It's a good way to look at it. I'm not going to engage in that. See, I, I'm like a petty person. <laughs> I'm quite petty, actually. So, like, if somebody says something I don't like, not once, but if someone says it a bunch, I, I keep a record, I keep a mental record. The champagne bottles. Champagne bottles. Yeah, that I, that I became. That's something. So, I had champagne. But I have champagne bottles engraved with the top of the list enemies of mine, and I wait for them to fuck up, <laughs> and then I pop them. So, like the most famous example of that is John Skipper, the old ESPN guy. I don't know who that is. He he ran ESPN. Dana just talked about the other day because he said he was anti-MMA. The deal never would have happened. He ran ESPN. So we had a show on ESPN, um, Barstool Van Talk. And it it maybe set a record last one episode. He canceled it for things we said, which in hindsight, I wish we didn't say them the way we did. Um, But it was years in the past. So we launched one episode. ESPN had a multi little uprising about doing business with us. And... Uh, they canceled after one episode. They didn't tell us. And John Skipper was quoted as saying, I didn't realize Barstool Vantalk, that was the name of the show, Barstool Vantalk, would be associated with Barstool. That was a direct quote he had. <laughs> so we put him on a champagne bottle. Literally like three days later, he got blackmailed by his Coke dealer. Supposedly. <laughs> this is what happened. It had to, and it had to step down. According to John... It's the only time he used this guy. He found a random Coke dealer off the street, impossible to believe, and got blackmailed. So he popped the champagne bottle. It was like per- it was perfect timing. He had to leave ESPN because of a Coke dealer? That's, that's the story. <laughs> that's the story. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then he went, over, <laughs> he went over to run DAZN. Uh, he oh, did, he runs DAZN he, now? He used to. He doesn't oh. anymore. Um, so, yeah, that. but the champagne bottles... And then uh, HBO did a quick little like documentary on us. I thought it was going to be fair and even. That's one of the last times I'll. That was almost 
the last time I believe the media would be fair. It wasn't. It was a hit piece, but they showed the champagne bottles, so people became aware of it. Mm, that's you know? funny. Yeah. That's funny. So I am <laughs> petty in that respect. I, well, you I, should be petty about that. That's fucking so stupid. The guy was doing coke. <laughs> imagine getting black. And by the way, who like if he's just like, I don't know, maybe I'm naive, but to be like, yeah, I've done coke. Like, who cares? Yeah, I think in that world, you can't even admit you did coke. Which is crazy. It's a stupid world. It's a stupid world where you have to pretend to be a fake person. Yeah. Like, look at these people in Good Morning America that are having a, an affair. Yes, John see, there Skipper it is. details his ESPN exit and a cocaine extortion plot. Dun, dun, dun. 27 years. Jesus Christ. The guy did good work, so he likes to do a little coke. He had a substance addiction. What did it say there? He has an addddiction. I don't even think he admitted to that. He's just like, I did. I tried it. He's he the only it, guy. But he called it. He called it a substance addiction. Did he? Yeah. John Skipper suddenly resigned. Uh, I thought he said it once. Yeah. To seek treatment. That's what you do when you get busted. Skipper, 62, the married father of two sons, was raised in North Carolina. I don't give a fuck where he's from. 27 years in Disney. They washed down the toilet for a little Coke. Meanwhile, you look at the body of work that he did. Did he do a good job? I don't know. But, I mean, if you kept him fucking hired for that long, I would assume he was doing good work. Fucking knuckleheads. He says he did it on his own, that he blow. resigned. Just a little blow. Who cares? Who cares? I think I wrote that most likely, how did I phrase it? Not necessarily do it, but, like, people act like Coke, it, I, don't, I don't know what they act like. It's like if you haven't been around Coke in your life, you're probably a loser. <laughs> like, honestly, if you haven't been around it, I'm not going to say do it, but if you haven't been around it at least once, you're yeah. probably not the most fun person ever. Yeah, I've been around it. I've never done it, but I had a friend in high school, and his cousin was addicted to coke. And uh, this was like when I was. This was a formative period of my life when I was doing martial arts, and uh, for the longest time, like from age fifteen to twenty-one, I did no partying. I did not. All I did was train. I mean, I trained every day. I just I ate clean. I slept well. I did. How old were you? Fifteen to twenty-one. From huh. fifteen to twenty-one. Those were like, you know, high How'd school. How'd you get into that? Oh, uh, man. Um, well, I was bullied like most people. You know, got, I didn't know how to fight. I was scared. And I was like, I need to learn how to fight. And uh, I joined a martial arts school, and, and I just got obsessed with it. Because that's early. Like, that. the reason I'm asking, that's before the trend of MMA. Yeah, but martial arts had always been around. And, you know, I was a big Bruce Lee fan, Chuck Norris fan. <clears throat> Watched a bunch of those movies and shit. And I was, God, man, amazing to do that. How cool would it be to be able to do that? And then I watched a bunch of kickboxing matches, and I got into it. And then uh, coming home from a Red Sox game, it's a crazy story. Um, I would already been taking karate a little bit, but it was too far from my house. It was hard to get there. My parents didn't want to drive me. And uh, this place was right off the tee. Um, so I was uh, at Fenway Park with a buddy of mine, went to see a baseball game, and then I was like 14 or 15. And when we were walking home from the baseball game, there was so many people waiting in line for the tea. You know how it is after yeah, the yeah. game. Yeah. So we decided to uh, just fucking walk upstairs and see what this uh, Taekwondo school was all about. And as I was walking up the stairs, I was hearing this sound, and it was like, whoop, ka-chink. Like, it was whoop, ka-chink. And what it was was this guy kicking this heavy bag, and the bag was flying, and the kachink was the chains that was holding the bag. And I got up there at the top of the stairs and watched this guy, John Lee, who was the national champion who was training for the World Cup. So he's at his peak of training, 
and he was doing a, a spinning back kick over and over again into this heavy bag. And I remember watching it, and I could not believe what he could do. I couldn't believe the power that this guy could generate in that kick. And he became like a mentor to me. And uh, this guy who was like this wild street guy from Chelsea, Massachusetts, who was this elite Taekwondo fighter, like he wasn't like, you know, like bow, like he, he was mm-hmm. like, hey, what's up, man? What yeah, the yeah. fuck are you doing, man? He was a funny dude. He would like eat food right before he fought. Ah, fuck these people, man. I'm gonna fuck these dudes up. He was a street guy who was really good at martial arts. I mean, he bowed and said yes, sir, to everybody and all that stuff. But when people were not around, he was just cool. He was yeah. hanging out. He had drug problems. There was a lot going on. But in that moment where I saw him, he was in the he was twenty seven years old. He was in the prime of his career, and he was the elite of the elite. And, and that's I, how you got hooked. I got hooked, hooked, hooked. Line of sync. I I went there the next day. I signed up, and I was there every fucking day, every huh. day. Yeah, I became obsessed. Interesting. So I didn't want to do anything that fucked me up. And my my friend Jimmy, his cousin, was selling coke, and I knew his cousin Mike from like when he wasn't selling coke. Like he was a mechanic, he's a cool guy, you know, fixed my car for me. He's a fucking guy from the neighborhood. We hang out with him, and then him and his girl got into coke bad. He was selling coke, and then he was just fucking just emaciated. He looked like he got bit by a vampire. Hmm. And they would hide in their they had an attic apartment. They would just go in that attic apartment and do coke every day. And I was like, fuck coke. That's I, hardcore to get like hooked like that. He got hooked. Well, he was also selling it, yeah. so he had all this access to coke. But it was people in the neighborhood. I saw them doing coke, and they just wanted to do coke all the time. They wanted to get out and do coke. And as a kid who was like, finally, I was a loser my whole life. And then finally, when I was fifteen, I found this thing that I got obsessed with, that changed the way people looked at me. Like I was now all of a sudden I was good at something, like really good at something. And then I became state champion four years in a row, and I won the. U.S. Open and I won these national tournaments and it was a big fucking deal for me. So I was like, I am not doing anything that jeopardizes that. Right. And coke to me was the big one. Like I knew that that was it. I feel like if I got drunk, in which I did occasionally, I would feel like shit the next day. I couldn't train well. I was hungover and I'd get beat up in sparring. I was like, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. So I just cut most partying. Like I smoked pot a handful of times. I got drunk a handful of times during high school. And in, in, in my early 20s. And then uh, I just, in the comedy world, Coke was a problem with there too. I, su- I saw all, the, when I, I used to work at Nick's Comedy Stop in Boston. Yeah, sure. Those, and they, they offered to pay me in Coke or money. Like the, when you work there for a weekend, like you want to get paid in Coke or you want to get paid money? Any even <laughs> trade? Like same amount of Coke, <laughs> you, the well, dollar some value? Some guys went half-half. Yeah. Some guys went half-half. I guess it's if you like it, it's easy but access. There were so many guys that got hooked on coke. I knew so many guys that had coke problems. Then I was like, that is a pitfall. Like I wanted to succeed. And I felt like that was one. And also it was a drug that got you hyped up. And yeah, I, right. I liked being hyped up. And my friend Jimmy said this to me. He goes, don't do coke. You'll like it. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget this. It was me and my friend Steve. We were driving home from uh, Kelly's Roast Beef. In uh, Revere, Massachusetts, yep. and we're overrated. Uh, yeah, it's a little overrated. The beef is, but yeah, the clams are pretty good. Yeah. So we were we were driving, and there was a car next to us, and they had the dome light on, and there was a girl in the back seat doing blow off a mirror. So she's there, yeah, <laughs> doing yeah. blow, and she looks over at us, and we're I'm looking over to her, and she goes, 
just for no reason. Yeah. Just fuck you. <laughs> I mean, that's Revere Beach. But that's Coke, too. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, no Coke. And then I also had another buddy who got arrested who was selling Coke. And he got arrested for murder. And this was a scary murder where they beat. How close were you with this guy? He's a training partner of mine. Yeesh. Yeah, I knew him very well. I don't think he did that murder. He might have did that murder. I don't. He He did some shit. He wound up going to jail. He went to jail for quite a long time, uh, quite a few years, and then he came out, and he was just a totally different person. He came out super jacked, and all of, he had a bunch of like really bad tattoos, and all of them were now these heavy keloid scars. Like he had like burned off his tattoos or cut off his tattoos or some shit. I don't know what he did in prison. He was real vague about it, but. When he came out, like he was a fucking different human. He was an animal. You didn't want, if you sparred him, like when we sparred, they weren't sparring matches. They were fights. Like they were full on fights. Like we would spar like we were trying to kill each other. It was very dangerous. And uh, he was doing, I knew he was selling Coke and doing Coke. And then he got arrested for this murder where they took this guy. And um, again, I don't know if he did it. But he did, he did get arrested and then released. They broke all the bones in this guy's body with a hammer. And they kept injecting him with cocaine to keep him awake. What? Yeah. And then they cut his hands off and they cut his head off. And then they left his body somewhere. And they, I think the idea of cutting his hands off was to hide his fingerprints. And then this dude got arrested for that crime. And then I was like, geez. So it was more evidence to me like, Coke is fucking crazy business. I mean, yeah, well, you just described a guy. <laughs> it's not funny, but I mean, getting all his bones smashed with the hammer, his hands. Did you say his head cut off? Yeah, they cut, it, <laughs> cut his head off, cut his hands off. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's like pretty bad. It's the baddest of the bad. It's, it's horrible shit. But I knew a lot of guys like that. I knew a lot of, uh, because of... Uh, the martial arts, there was a lot of like really tough guys that gravitated towards. I truly hope you didn't know a lot of guys like that. I didn't know a lot of guys like that, but I knew I knew guys who were hitmen. I knew a guy who was a hitman for Whitey Bulger. I trained him. I, I trained him. Mean, I remember like teaching him shit because I was once, after like a year or two of uh, doing Taekwondo, I, my instructor offered me uh, a job. And I was basically like teaching the younger, uh, like uh, lower belt classes, teaching them basic techniques. And I would teach like early classes and kids classes and stuff like that in, in ch exchange for training. So I didn't have to pay for training anymore. And I'd get a key to the school. I could go anytime I wanted. It was like they would do that with like the uh, prospects, mm -hmm. people that they thought really could have a, a potential. And so I was teaching a lot of people and I was teaching this one guy. And I remember he goes... You wanted to kill somebody, where would you hit them? It was like a real question. It wasn't like an asshole just fucking around, like, hey, if I was going to kill somebody. It was like, if you want to kill somebody, where would you hit them? I was like, the neck, maybe? He goes, that's what I think so, too, probably the neck. What like a crew was, you were running with. It was very strange. Well, it was like most people were respectable. But it's like, you know, if you have hundreds and hundreds of students and your, your, your business is teaching people how to fuck people up, you're going to get bad yeah. people that want to learn those skills. That guy went away. And I, I knew a couple of guys who went away who uh, were in the, the South Boston mob. Hmm. That was the reason why Dana moved out of Boston, the South Boston mob. They were, they were shaking him down when he was running a boxing gym. 
It was scary. There were scary fucking people. That's the Whitey Bulger situation because he was in bed with these, the FBI. Like they were letting him kill people. They were yeah. letting him sell drugs. They Departed. Letting, yeah, the bar. That the movie. Yeah, yeah right. Departed. Yeah. yeah, that's real. Like that was all going on when I was a kid in Boston, and I was connected to people that wound up like a good friend of mine who was a comic. His brother was in Whitey Bulger's crew and wound up getting arrested and going to jail. His brother that I knew very well from the gym. <laughs> so I knew a few of those guys. Yeah. I don't have any of those stories. I grew up in a little suburb. I did too. Granted. I grew up in Newton. I was living oh, in yeah. Newton. Yeah, no, but, that. But the, the school was in Boston. So I would go into Boston and most of my friends were from the inner city. Most of my friends were from uh, Chelsea and, you know, Dorchester mm -hmm. and and these, you know, young, tough kids who would come from these, you know, bad neighborhoods and bad households. Those are the ones that made the best fighters. Well, that's still yeah. remains true. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So. Still getting. That's how I kept the fuck away from coke. <laughs> people don't believe me. They they think I'm lying. Why would I lie? I'd lie. I tell the truth about everything. Yeah, people always. It, there was a phase where everyone called me a cokehead. I'm not. Uh, like I've handful. This is a barstool. Like people make fun of it, but I've done coke less than a handful of times. Adderall, yes. Coke, no. Well, <laughs> my friend Duncan Trussell has a great joke about Adderall. The Adderall is like someone did coke and they were scientists and they're like. I can fix this. <laughs> Maybe. No, Adderall. I, I, I was warned even for this podcast. They're like, don't do too much Adderall. You'll talk too much. It's like, but I did a little. How much do you do? I've, I've toned it down, but like, you know, a 30 a day. If I, if I have to think, it makes me feel like I can cure cancer. Really? Yeah. It makes me, I love it. Like, I don't get jittery. Like, at least I don't think I do. Coffee, Adderall, I like, it gets the brain going. But yeah. I have tried to wean off of it because I don't want it not to work when I need it. Right, right. So you want it to be a tool. Yeah. Uh, well, we were just looking that up last night, and we were trying to figure out how many people are on Adderall, and there was 41 million prescriptions, I think, in 2020. 41 million. Now, how many, how many of those are- Fake? No, it's like how many people are doing it. If you have 41 million prescriptions, like, well, you get a prescription. Like, if you get a prescription, is it for 30 days? Is it for 60 days? Like, how many prescriptions do you get a year? Like, how many humans are we talking about? Yeah. I mean, that's 41 million prescriptions. Like, how many people? If it's 41 million people on Adderall, we got a fucking messed up country. You know? Yeah, everyone's like, you'll wait. I mean, for documentation that it's really bad for you, but who knows? Well, is coffee really bad? I mean, I think coffee is good for you. Some of it. I've, yeah. I've gone to war on this. Coffee, the studies say, like, it's pretty good for you. There's some studies that say it's bad for you. Well, that's. They used to say that it did. You can find that with you. everything. But now they find out that coffee actually can hydrate you. That I don't believe. Yeah, it, it is. It's liquid. Coffee hydrates you. I uh, see. That's it can't. I know what it does to me. Well, I, it makes I, you urinate because it it does. It is in some ways, it dehydrates you because it is a stimulant. But you're also drinking in so much liquid that it doesn't dehydrate you. Hmm. Like people, Google that. Make sure that's true. I think you can. I think like you can find be, both. I think you can find both. Here it is. Does coffee hydrate you? The answer is yes. Coffee does count towards your daily water intake. However, drinking huge amounts of caffeine can be dehydrated. That may be from big coffee, though. It could be. Ah, that's because <laughs> the increase in urination can result in a higher risk of dehydration. I don't think it is. Uh, it's on the coffee website. I don't yeah, think right. they, it's from big coffee. But the thing is, like, I don't think they need to be, to say coffee's okay. Everybody's hooked on coffee. 
I fucking love the stuff. Mayo Clinic. Caffeinated drinks. Yeah, Mayo seems can legit. contribute to your daily food right, requirement. Good. Listen, I'm a coffee guy, yeah. so the better the. Uh. I am too. I love it. I love coffee, but I love a little bit of I, I like a little cigar. I like weed. I like a little booze. I just I feel like it's a balanced thing. Like I don't want to be a teetotaler, and I do sober October every year where I don't do shit. But at the end of the day. I think a little bit of alcohol, a little bit of coffee. You just got to take care of your body. You got to know when you're overdoing it, know when you're doing too much. Make sure you take vitamins. Make sure you recover. Do a bunch of different things to take care of your fucking meat vehicle. But as long as you do that, I feel like... I mean, anything in moderation yeah. is probably fine. Look, if you're training for a fight, don't drink. You know, Don't do coke. Don't. Meanwhile, John Jones did. And greatest of all time. Right. This is one of the greatest fucking quotes ever when he's... When he was in a press conference with Daniel Cormier after their first fight, he goes, I beat you when I was doing coke. <laughs> I, I, I feel like a lot of the fighters are probably doing stuff. Mm. The elite of the elite aren't. No, I mean, other than John, most of those guys are not partying at all. Most of those guys are just like... In training, yeah. They're just trying to maximize their... They, you know, there's one moment of 25 minutes in a championship fight and you got you got to be fully fucking if you're fighting Israel out of Sanya Alex Pajera and you, you have that fucking cage locks you don't want to have any right. thought like I should have got more sleep or I shouldn't have got drunk last week or I shouldn't have this or I shouldn't have that at the elite of the elite levels everything has to be on point these guys are so good you have to have your recovery, your diet, your nutrition, your, you know, all the fucking modalities have to be on point to compete at the elite of the elite level. Unless you're John Jones. <laughs> but even John Jones, like if jo John Jones was so goddamn talented and still is, that if, if he just did none of that and just trained in like a fucking Spartan and was a samurai about everything, like he, put, he would have been unstoppable. He wouldn't have had those close fights. Like, when he fought Alexander Gustafson, he didn't even train. Didn't even fucking train, and he beat him. But it was a close, close yeah. fight. Close, close fight. But then when him and Gustafson fought the second time, he beat the fucking brakes off Gustafson. See, Because he wanted to let everybody know, like, this is John Jones when he's ready and prepared, motherfuckers. See, I'm, a, I'm like a top—I'm a casual MMA guy. Like, those fights, I don't know. I, if there's a big fight— interesting top of the name then i get it it but i'm not watching like the weeklies mm. yeah i get it i mean look i, I only watch one sport so no, i know for me that's what everyone said to me They're like just heads up he does, he's he's not a sports guy he's an mma guy i don't know jack shit about sports and i'm friends with aaron Rodgers. i know i heard that story coming in <laughs> i love that guy but i don't know jack shit about his sport meanwhile my wife is a crazy football fan it's really funny my wife's mom's a crazy football fan green bay packers fan you know, she wants to meet Aaron Rodgers. So that unrelated. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, but sports to me are great. I love sports. I love them. I love the people do them. I love athletes. I love discipline and commitment. I love excellence. But <clears throat> I can, I only have so much time in the day, and I have to just, what, what excites me? Yep. What excites me is combat sports. I watch, like, very obscure kickboxing matches from Thailand. You know, like if you see me on my phone and I'm just like sitting somewhere, I'm probably watching some weird grappling match, you know, that's taking place in fucking Uzbekistan yeah. or some shit. You know, I, I, that's what I like to do. You have the do. background in it. But that's what's interesting to me. I like combat sports. It's not that I don't like sports. It's just I don't have any time. I mean, I went to a soccer game recently in uh, Austin. It was fucking great. I was like, this is amazing. It was so much fun. 
but am I following soccer? I don't. I don't have the time. There's not enough. T- I can't get obsessed with some other fucking disciplines. Yeah. You know? No, I hear that. But to me, combat sports are the ultimate because the consequences are so high, the excitement so high. There's nothing to me like a world championship UFC fight. There's nothing like it, man. Then when Bruce Buffer is red in the face and he's like, "It's time!" They and had the whole him. Place goes, he, he leaps off the ground. They had him. Uh, so I went to Michigan. I was at the, the football game there in the semis. They lost, but he he did the call for that. They he's had him the out there. Fucking man, yeah. Bruce Buffer is the greatest announcer in the history of the human race. No one gets more pumped up. That guy, he bleeds it. It's crazy. The family. Oh yeah, you know they didn't know each other. They grew up separate. He didn't find out he was his brother until he was like 30. Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. That's crazy. The reason why the UFC got Bruce Buffer was because they didn't have the money from Michael Buffer. And his brother, Bruce, was like, I can do it. In the beginning, he was kind of, you know, he was learning how to do it. No, I had no idea. I figured it was just in the family. They grew up together. Look, if you go back and listen to my early days of commenting, I was terrible. If you go back and listen to Bruce Buffer's early days of announcing, he wasn't as good as he is now. He just yeah, he's, he was he's, learning how to do it. Now he's the fucking man. Yeah, if you told me that he could eclipse Michael, and you could argue either way, because I am a boxing guy. He's done the biggest fights, but you know, are you ready to rumble? I would have said not in a million years. He's eclipsed him by far. Look, Michael Buffer's the fucking man too. That ready? Get, let's get ready to rumble. That though, that. Nothing eclipses that. Like it's pretty goddamn good. Bruce doesn't have a catch one catchphrase that everybody knows. He has it's time. Yeah. It's time. Well, yeah. If you go to a UFC fight, the whole audience they do it. Cheers with they him. They do it. It's yeah, no, you're right. Time! You're, you're you're right. You're right. It's just different because let's get ready to rumble was the first. It was iconic. Let's get ready to rumble. Yeah. And he has a beautiful, silky smooth voice. Michael Buffer's voice is fantastic. They're very different deliveries. Very different. But Bruce is perfect for cage fighting. That's Bruce. Let me hear this. <laughs> Let me hear this. He looks like he's 12. I thought Buffer had the potential. He's about him. I didn't know. Oh, 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 oh it's a documentary like, about him. Yeah. Jeremy Horn. That's the old days. Did you watch yeah. the original UFCs? I mean, uh, the like when Hoist Gracie would like beat oh, people of in, his, yeah. in his, what do they call the, the, the guard? The, no, the... The kimono? He, yeah, he, the he choked yeah. him out in the gi. You didn't yeah. even know what happened. Well, the gi's brilliant for a jiu-jitsu player because the gi makes people grab it. They grab it. They don't even, they just instinctively, there's clothes there, you grab it, and then he just drags yeah. you and he beat world. like five guys in a yeah. night. Oh, yeah. I didn't find out about the UFC until UFC 2. I had heard, out, I heard about it, and then I watched UFC 2. Uh, I rented it at like a blockbuster or something, and I remember immediately I was like, oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, I was hooked right away on it, too. I also was like an eye-opening experience because I was a kickboxer. So I was a stand-up fighter. I was a striker. And then I was watching this guy just grab a hold of people and get them to the ground and trip them. I'm like, is it that easy? Is that easy to fuck me up? I wrestled in high school for a year. Like, maybe I could stand up on my feet. And then I went to uh, jujitsu classes and got mauled. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm helpless. Like, I had this totally distorted perception of my abilities. Yeah, I was like. I'm a good kickboxer. If somebody comes up to me, I'll fuck them up. And I have this whole idea in my head. And then, like, jujitsu, like, I'm sure it's good and everything, but I could avoid all their bullshit. Yeah. And no. I got just mauled and manhandled. I remember thinking, like, after a few classes, like, oh, my God, I'm fucking helpless. And I thought I wasn't. 
That's most people. Most people have this idea in their head, like, oh, my fucking mentality. I see red. Bodies start dropping. Like you, you're helpless. You're like a chi- you're a child to someone who knows how to fight. Yeah. You, you really don't know until you experience it. And so, I think what what UFC did is it opened everybody's eyes to jujitsu and how effective jujitsu is and how it's so much different than every other martial art because like. If you're a good athlete and you're strong, you can hit hard, there's always like a swinging chance. If you're in a, a fight with somebody and you sucker punch them or something happens, but in a jiu-jitsu match or a guy who's a jiu-jitsu black belt, there's no chance for like a lucky submission. There's no chance for you winning. You have zero chance. Yeah. They If they clinch you, you're fucked. You, you don't even know how to stop it. You don't know what to do. All of a sudden, you're tripped. You're inside control. You're like, "What is this? Why is this knee on my chest?" I still don't know. Watching it, like, yeah. so, I've been ringside for a couple. Of pa- I don't know enough about it. I don't even know when someone's necessarily in trouble. Right. It's like because I'm a novice watching it. So, well, they used to have these earpieces that they would hand out. They would sell at the concession stand. It was like a little local radio, and you could put it on. You can hear the commentary, which was great. In the, but I don't know what happened. They stopped doing that. It, it would be a good thing for people to have because it's like I think if I was watching in the audience, I think I might also buy it on ESPN Plus and then listen to the commentary in like an AirPod. I think that's the way to do it because like when Daniel Cormier is explaining wrestling, like to this day when he's explaining shit to me, like I'm all ears when he's talking about clinch positions and you know what what's important and what what a, a person has to do in this spot or that spot and then when it goes to the ground like when i'm explaining transitions and i'm explaining when someone's okay and when they're not okay and now they're fucked yep. and what he's going to do is this and then the person does it like for people that follow along at home that that was in the early days of the ufc that helped the ufc very much because Otherwise, like, it's just a scramble of bodies on the ground. You don't know what's happening. Right. You need someone to walk you through it in a step-by-step way. And so if if you don't have access to commentary, I think that does that does hurt the experience a little bit because you don't – but if you do have access to commentary – But it's also electric live because the crowd's oh, electric. Yeah. Everyone knows. So you get a – like, well, I may not know. I get a sense from the crowd like yeah. because the crowd rises and gets like super loud when somebody's a little bit of trouble. Yeah, well in a stand up fight there's nothing like That's like all, Adesanya yeah. versus Pejeda. Like yep. that kind of fight. Like it's there's nothing like being there live cuz yep. you if you see Pejeda throwing those fucking death hooks at him and like yeah. yeah, right. Like you know what's happening. It's very clear to see what's going on. Everybody understands that. But then the ground is where it gets yep. a little more complicated for people. I have a question for you. Okay. When Spotify, you did Spotify. Did you care when all that shit was going on with Spotify, with like the people revolting against you at Spotify, or did you just not give a shit at all? Well, the people at Spotify weren't. There was just a, a couple of people that were like tech people that were upset. But so then, how did that become such hairs. a big story? The real story was the mi- medical misinformation story. That's where things got weird, and there was a lot of people that were behind that. That that you know. Democratic super PACs, and there was a lot of shit. It was like very organized. But that was because of having people like Robert Malone and Peter McCullough that were telling a narrative that was contrary to what was going on in the public about vaccines and about the efficacy and about the dangers and about COVID and the actual dangers of COVID and also alternative treatments, whether or not they were effective, whether or not the information is being suppressed. That stuff got creepy. 
But did you care? Is it more like because you from outside looking in, you had built this thing up all yourself, took a paycheck, but signed it over to Spotify. To me, that would be. I was I was curious what your thought process were at any point. You're like, I wish I just kept this myself. I don't I don't need this headache. Or did no? Because I would have done the same thing, and I would have been banned from YouTube. I would have been in trouble in other ways. It was it was a matter of like a time where talking about certain things was very taboo, and I talk about everything. And when I had access to someone like Robert Malone, who owns nine patents on the creation of mRNA vaccine technology, and that guy who got vaccinated was telling you about a terrible cardiac event that happened to him while he got vaccinated, and then him doing the research on mRNA vaccines and the benefits as well as the adverse side effects and as well as what the actual studies showed in terms of efficacy, that the fact that they never really showed that they could stop transmission, that they were lying about that, it's going to stop it in its tracks. There was no information about that. In fact, there was a woman in, in, the, uh, in Pfizer that had to talk to the European Parliament, and they asked her, like, Does it, did you do research to see if it stopped transmission? She said no. So they, all they knew is that it created antibodies, and everybody wanted the pandemic to be over. And everybody wanted it, and they figured, like, this is our way out of this. And it was like, that was the narrative. Rachel Maddow was like, if you get this vaccine, you won't get COVID. Right. You won't spread COVID. The virus stops with you. We all now know that is horseshit, and that's a lie. And this guy was telling me that uh, over a year ago. And when I started talking about that, it became a real fucking issue. But my perspective was like, look, if it's true, it's true. And the, the chips will fall where they may. And if the only way people are getting this information is through me, that's fucking crazy. But that's also the cross I have to bear. This is what it is. I'm talking to this guy. I'm fascinated by it personally. I, I want to know. I mean, and he was wildly disparaged. So was Dr. Peter McCullough, wildly disparaged. But turns out he was accurate. And as more and more information gets out over time, it will show what happened, how they were suppressed, how there was active campaigns to silence them, and what those, how those campaigns were funded. And that's what we're finding out right now. So it was an uncomfortable time for sure, especially when people like, you know, fucking Neil Young. Oh, I love Neil Young. You know, but, you know, Neil Young, I don't know if this is true or they, not, but they, somebody told me that after I released my video explaining how a lot of the stuff that they called misinformation in the past that would get kicked you off is now mainstream news, like the fact the lab leak hypothesis. If you talked about the lab leak hypothesis on YouTube at the beginning of the pandemic, you would have been fucking canceled. They would have pulled you off of YouTube. They would have suppressed your episodes. They would have canceled. Now that's on the cover of fucking Newsweek. Right. Right. And now most scientists and epidemiologists and virologists are pointing towards that as the likely scenario that is a lab leak. I had Brett Weinstein, who is a evolutionary biologist on yesterday, and he explained why that lab leak hypothesis is most likely correct in scientific terms that are like mind boggling. So was it good? No, but it is what it is, you know, and, you know, my perspective is, look, it could be. It, I'm an, I'm in a very unusual and fortunate situation and you know, sometimes you find yourself in a place in life life where you have to figure out what you're going to do. Are you are you going to not talk to these people because of pressure when you think these people are telling the truth or are you going to let the chips fall where they may? So that you that was over because from again totally outside it seemed like a big deal. Like it seemed like a big thing within Spotify, it seemed 
you're saying it wasn't as big, though it was just small, like you weren't getting. That, for me, is the big, almost all the stuff you said, whether it was true or not true, I think you believed it was true. That's all that kind of matters. It turns out a lot of it was. But it's, uh, there's similarities. You did it so long yourself, and then Spotify is under a ton of pressure. Like, didn't they delete some of your episodes? Yeah. Well, they, they, they did that, and they also uh, were very apprehensive about certain guests that I had on. And there was, you know, a lot of pressure from advertisers. There was a lot of pressure from different people. They were, you know, like different uh, artists like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell pulled their, their stuff. And it was touch and go. But again, over time, it showed that that was all true. And then all that went away. Yeah. And so it was the right. Now, if I was wrong. Now imagine if I was wrong, and imagine, well, not even me, I shouldn't say I was wrong, because I wasn't really the one who was saying these things. These things were mostly being said by experts. But if those experts turned out to be horseshit, that would be devastating. Like if it did cause the death of millions of people because these guys were lying, and yeah. these people didn't take something that could have saved them, and you know. But it turns out that's not really the case. And it turns out there was alternate therapies and alternate different medications that were suppressed not only that the information about simple things like vitamin d and exercise and the benefits of of those things and how that was suppressed about how obesity contributes to COVID, that was all suppressed Ooh. that none of that stuff was being discussed and awareness so it's just one of those things where you find out that the the more things change the more they remain the same Pharmaceutical companies from the be fucking beginning of their industry have been full of shit. They make great stuff. They make Adderall. You love it. They make Viagra. They make cancer medications that work. They make all these different things that are wonderful for people. All these different things that save people. But really what they're in the business of is making money. That's what they're in the business of. 100%. And when something comes along that, that fucking steps on their money, they don't like it. You know? <laughs> yeah. It, it, like, like I said, what for me, it, it was almost the bigger issue of how you – I was curious how you were dealing with it. Meaning – I just keep on keeping on. Just keep doing it. Was there – was it was that relationship ever close to being severed because of that or I no? I don't think so. I don't know, though. You know, I don't know from them. My relationship with them was always great in communicating with them. They stood by me the way they stand by rappers. And that was one of the things they said. Like, think about all the shit that rappers say. And but they stood by you for the same reason you're saying everything else. You make them money. Yes. Like they, still, they probably weren't standing by you because we think he's got smart guys. Or Joe Rogan, we like Joe. They're standing by you because you're the biggest podcast in the a world. A friend of mine who's a brilliant businessman said, you have the number one podcast in 96 countries. If you had the num number 96 podcast in one country, you would have been gone. Correct. Yeah. And that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that's everything. Yeah. But that's that's why, for whatever reason, you know, I found myself in the position I found myself in. Like, that's that's who you are right now. That's mm -hmm. that's your your place in life. And you have to just be who you are. You can't change because of the pressure. You can't just decide to become a different person because there's all this pressure on you because you're scared. Right. Like, then I'd quit. I wouldn't want to do it anymore. Then I would go do it for free. That's There was a point in time I was like, what would I do if I lost all of it? And I thought about it very carefully. And I said, I'll just do it for free. If I lost all my ads and all my advertisers, I would still have the number one podcast, but with no advertisers. Okay. Right. I just do it for free. I just, uh, you know, cut my uh, spending down a little bit, still do stand up, keep doing the same shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't need advertisers. You can do that in this day and age. This is a different world. You know, the fact that an independent media organization 
whether it's like Breaking Points or Substack, can exist and have millions of subscribers and millions of people that pay attention. This is a different world. Totally. This is not a world where you're on fucking ESPN, you get caught doing coke, and they just fire you. Right. That's a different. They live in a different world than I do. I live in the world of social media and the world of well, your direct online consumer. platforms, yeah. direct to consumer. It's a different thing. And I've had a lot of offers to do that. Like there was a lot of people that were these like fucking huge billionaire people who came to me and said, listen, we can take this and go straight to subscriber model. And then you never have to deal with anybody ever telling you what to do again. Right. And I thought about that, but I'm like, but also Spotify has been great to me. I have a great relationship with the CEO of Spotify. He's my boy. I love that dude. So, you know, I stick with them. They stick with me. We're good. And it works. It's a, it's a fucking very unique thing that I, I got in right at the right time where YouTube was demonetizing people. And they, that was one of the ways they got people to self-center, self-censor rather. They demonetized people that talked about controversial subjects. And they demonetized a lot. That was one of the things that we found about when we left um, YouTube because we had a really good relationship with YouTube. And most of our episodes were monetized. But every now and then they would demonetize an episode. And we would try to, Jamie would, um, you know, he would uh, protest it or, you know, he would uh, dispute it and, you know, put in a, a request for review. And sometimes they would reverse it and sometimes they weren't. And it was like this weird touch and go game where you're like, who is telling me what I can and can't say? Who right. the fuck are these people? Right. And why are they in my life? Why am I why am I making decisions based on whether or not some fucking dork who has this subjective opinion of whether or not something should be discussed or not discussed? Right. And so when we left Spotify or we left YouTube and went to Spotify, all that stopped. The the moment we left YouTube, the moment we got a deal with Spotify, we were on YouTube for several months. They didn't demonetize any of our shit during that time. They just took in all the revenue. They stopped demonetizing us completely. So it was an increase in revenue by like something, somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to 30%. Because hmm. that's the amount of podcasts that they would demonetize. The revenue just went sky high. I was like, this is wild. Like This is really fascinating. Yeah. And if I stayed over there... During the whole COVID shit, during the like the Neil Young stuff and everything, dude, it would have been bad. They would have probably yanked me off of YouTube. They'd have probably killed my account. They could yeah. have done it. They did it to many people. They killed many people's accounts for wrong reasons, and those reasons now are being like very clearly exposed as being incorrect. Right. Huh. Fascinating. That was uh yeah. I always wondered that part. It feels very weird though. It was, felt very weird. But the thing is, I kept doing stand-up. And when I go on stand-up, people would go fucking crazy when well, I go on stage. Yeah, well, the thing you have, I, I've said this in the past, similar, I think, to Barstool, you've been doing it so long, so your audience knows very well who you are. Yeah. So it, it, it it's not like what Neil Young or anybody said. It's not going to affect your base because your base is very real, and they've been with you forever. So, In fact, I gained 2 million subscribers during that month. Two million. That makes sense to me. Yeah. So that was what was wild about it. It had the opposite effect that was intended. Well, that and always little, does. Little Fatso Brian Stelter was on CNN talking shit about me. I'm like, ka -ching, ka -ching, ka -ching, that, ka -ching, that's ka -ching. that's Nobody... been Barstool from yeah. from day one. The more people attack, the more your base grows, and they almost become more ravenous. They do become more ravenous, yeah. especially in response to someone like Brian Stelter. Because yep. you see that guy talking, like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> right. Like, w w w imagine a world where that guy's your best friend. Well, that is, 
So of all the people have come at me, and, and a lot of people say it, so you can take it kind of with a grain of salt. If someone writes a hit piece, someone I, I always say, let's sit down. I'll bring my cameras. You bring yours. Yeah. And we can both do whatever. Nobody ever has taken me up on that, ever. And now that's- Isn't that an, interesting? Because that takes away their power of ever, editing. Ever. They love to be able to edit and take your stuff and out of context. And you can just see- Mm-hmm. How their body language is yes. and whatever, because and I see I, who they are. Correct. Yeah. And, because I'm confident. I, I know there's things I've said that, you know, with time, culture, environment, they don't come across. I would have worded differently, said different jokes, whatever. But I'm comfortable with. I, I've never. I always got a kick out of. It. There's there's accounts that hate me. They deleted their entire like Twitter profiles. They just went back like delete everything. We've never delete anything really. It's all out there. You want to find it? It's there. But I'm comfortable with who I am. So if you have this big problem with me, wouldn't you want your subject to sit and be like, open book, you can do it live, you can do all the footage? They never do it. Of not course, once. because they're not trying to have an objective analysis of who you are. And you get to see them. Yeah. Like you get to see what type of person, how they are, are they normal, are they not normal, do they squirm? They and never they do know it. your base will come for them. Yes, that too, which I, we've had that, people have criticized me for that, because there is a theory out there and I'm sure they say it with you, that I have a responsibility because we have this base. So if I say, so somebody throws a jab at me on Twitter or says something, I have the responsibility not to respond. If it's an individual that's not connected to a no, media? Or no, they a, say anybody. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's what I because say. Because that person is also has a base. Correct. That person has a platform. That and person Twitter has a megaphone. A public square. You're tagging yeah. me. You're saying, like, I don't have to bite my tongue. Even within Barstool, people feel differently. They're like, well, don't do it because it does reflect... You know, you can't control everybody, and we do have idiots who will say stuff that's too far over the edge. Yeah. How do you stop that? You can't. But at the same time, I'm not just going to let someone go there and take shots at me. It's like, that's not my nature. It's never been my nature. So that's sometimes, I've tried to be a little better with it, but it's (laughs) still not the best. But it's an interesting thing, because this is all very new. Like, the, the, the... the idea of podcasts and these independent platforms that reach millions of people has never existed in human history. There's never been anything like this. Right. So guys like you and guys like me and people that are doing it, there's no roadmap to follow. Now, for young guys coming up or young girls coming up, like young non-binary folks coming up, right. they get to look at what we're doing and they, they see like a little bit of a roadmap. So for people that are getting involved in this right now, I love the fact that some 17-year-old kid in Michigan in his fucking apartment, you know, or his, uh, his bedroom can start a podcast. And if people like it, they keep tuning in and then it can grow and it can, and it can get to a point where that person could be the number one podcaster in the world. You see it with like Twitch streamers yep. and YouTubers. It's a fucking amazing time for It that. levels the playing field. You don't need the network. Talent, generally, if you do it enough, can rise. It's more than leveling the playing field because you're uninhibited. You're unhindered by corporate interests. So you have this ability to talk about things in a way that, like, there was never a long-form discussion of complicated ideas for hours and hours uncensored that ever existed before. Right. Didn't exist until podcasts came along. So it's not even a level playing field. Like, they're working hindered. They have ads. They have to cut every fucking seven minutes and go to commercial break. They have corporate interests that, like, review what they're doing. They have to have meetings with managers and executives. I don't have any of that. 
Zero. So it's not level at all. I have a monstrous advantage above and beyond. I'm drunk and high on 45% of the podcast right. that I do. Like, what are you talking? There's no, it's the advantage is 100% on my side. Yeah. Because it didn't exist before. And I'm a pioneer. I'm one of the early guys. So because I've been around it now for 13 years, I've been doing it for 13 years, I've amassed a following that's been paying attention for so long. It's like, it's not, it's not even. That's also why I think you're perceived, well, I don't think, I know, as a threat. Because you, you, you can say what you want, and you can also influence politics, whatever it may be, and they can't get to you, really. Well, I don't know if that should be perceived as a threat. I think they're looking at it the wrong way. If, if they were an individual, I would say you shouldn't look at it that way. You should look at, like, what are the benefits of doing something in the way that that person does and whether or not you can adjust and do whether – You, know, you don't they think they do, – like, you, you don't think like – I'm sure they do. But I'm, what I would say, if they were an individual – I know they're a corporation, so it's sort of a different entity. But if they were an individual, I would tell them you're looking at it the wrong way. If someone's out there killing it, don't look at that person as a threat. Look at that person. It's like, what did they do? How right. did they do that? Why do they do that so differently? Why is it so effective? Like, what, what, maybe what's the flaws in my delivery? What's the flaws in my application? What's the flaws in the way I'm promoting my thing? And why doesn't that resonate with people? You know, if you, if you have someone who speaks like a normal person, like who speaks like you would if you're having a drink with a buddy, that resonates with people. They go, oh, I get it. Totally. Dave Portnoy is a fucking regular guy. Totally. I get it. I like to listen to him, even if I don't agree with him. At least I know where he's coming from. That's a regular person. When you're listening to Don Lemon talk, you don't get any of that. You get there's a way of discussing things that you know. If, if that guy was in your living room talking like that, you'd be like, what's right, wrong what are you with doing? you? Right, We've got to get him out of here. He's crazy. I think he's on drugs. Right. You'd be like, yeah, <laughs> you'd no, be 100%. Like, nobody talks like that. Nobody talks like a news anchor when they're alone with you, right? So- that's one of the reasons why, like, Greg Gutfeld works, right? When that guy's doing his show, when they're sitting around with a bunch of people talking, they're laughing. Right. They're talking normal. 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 That's why it works so well. People are like, how is that the number one late night show? How's it not? Right. How's well, it not? Look at what he's doing. He's him. That's across, I mean, that's across the board. Like, we just, so we just did our first, we had the rights to a college football game. And we announced it as though... We had a rooting interest because we did, and people half the people loved it, half hated it. But even the people hate it. It's like this is how we talk in our living room. That's what people want. Yes. They want just normal. That's what people want. Yeah. We used to do fight companions when I lived in L.A. Me and Brendan Schaub and Brian Cowan and Eddie yeah. Bravo. We would do these fight companions where we would sit down and watch the UFC and talk shit and drink and get fucked that's up. That's the Manning cast, which yes. you're not a football guy, but that's what it is. They're, Same kind of yeah, yeah, second screens. Those fight companions would get way more views than the UFC would. Because people would like to listen to us, and they would also listen to us. We would let them sync it up. We would give them the exact time that the fight, because it was like a, a bit of a delay yep. because of the networks and all that shit. We, so we would tell them. And, it, and it also, if they were watching the fights afterwards, like if they had work and then after they got off work, they could sync it up. I'd give them like on the first fight, we're at five seconds, six seconds, seven seconds, eight. So they could pause that at eight seconds, rewind their thing to eight seconds, bam. And so they were with us and they would listen to that instead of the commentary. 100%. Yeah. I mean, we, we did that with normal sport. We, we had the same thing. We, we would turn the cameras early on us 
like the Barcelona people watching sports in our biggest moments because everyone wants a fan. Like someone hits a home run against your the biggest is always when your team loses. People like to watch someone die on camera, which is great, but it's the fan experience. It, it always works. And that is what works with podcasts. If someone's interesting. Yes. If someone, but if they're not, God, it's so fucking annoying. Like if you like, I watch a lot of uh, professional pool, and uh, there's uh, <laughs> a lot was of telling pool. me that. Yeah, I'm addicted. And then there's uh, these like pool commentators that are just uh, fucking amateurs. They're terrible and they talk too much. And then there's guys like Jeremy Jones. It's amazing, and I, I can't wait to listen to him or Earl Strickland. But the guys who are bad, they ruin it. Like I just turn the volume down. I don't even want to hear them talk. They talk. Yeah. They're stupid. They talk too much. Yeah. They don't know what they're doing. You know, it's just. It's just if it's good, but if it's good, it'll 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 resonate. People will like it. If it's not, it won't. I mean, that's what it's supposed to be all about. That's what people are supposed to have the freedom to do something that other people enjoy, and that's the most unique thing about this time. Is this time you don't have to have any qualifications, you don't have to have any background and you know, broadcasting from a specific institution or any of that. You just be yourself, do your thing, and even us. When we've hired people from networks, it's crazy. First, the internet. The network people generally flame out with us a little bit because they want they're, – they're expecting like a producer to be like, you got to do this, this is set up. Where people who are kind of born from the internet, they've gotten on our radar or wherever they are by just doing it themselves. Yeah. Like you don't need anybody really. You don't I need always – that drives me nuts when people apply for us. and like, let I, I can do this, I can do that. It's like you don't need us. You should have like a library that I can just go watch you. Like you don't. Why do you need Barcelona? You don't need anything. It's right. so easy to create your own content without any help, really. But they'd like to be connected with Barstool because Barstool is a brand that also has a, a gigantic following already attached. So they know if they hook up with you, they'll get an audience. We can be the gasoline. Yeah. So we can blow somebody up. But if you don't have it and you're not motivated, like the example. That I've given, Call Her Daddy, which I think is second to you on Spotify. Uh, do you know that? Are you you blank? You're giving me a blank, like you don't know that. I don't pay attention. Do you know? Who, you don't even know what it is. Oh, I know what Call Her Daddy is. Okay, so yeah, you, I know the whole controversy. Do you know why I know the whole controversy? No, because of my boy Andrew Schultz. Oh yeah, Andrew Schultz, who was supposed to go on a date with that one he girl. He told me that story, <laughs> Sophia Franklin. So he bails on the date. She goes out and meets the agent, who winds up trying to negotiate Suit this guy. contract. Suit man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell, tell the story from you know it. Yeah, well, I know it really good. So <laughs> call her daddy, Alex Cooper. We we saw a sizzle reel that she made. So call her daddy is now on Spotify. She got a huge contract, I think like three years, 60 mil. She's great. But we saw a sizzle reel, called her in. I'd never seen anything like the sizzle reel. And she sat down, I'm like, who made this for you? And she's like, I did. I learned how to edit it. I did all of it. We just hired her on the spot when she said that. She said, oh, by the way, I do it with another girl. I'm bringing her with me. It's like, okay, fine. Didn't even meet the girl, Sophia Franklin, at the at the time. Um, the thing exploded. Now, Barstool's been around close to 20 years. It's no overnight success. You were around for 12 years doing the podcasting. They went from zero to 100. Like, within two months, it's all anybody was talking about. Call her daddy. Call her daddy. So we hired them each 70 grand a year 
three-year contracts. You can look at, like, we'll reevaluate it at the end of the year. This thing blew up so quick. And they start looking around, being like, wait a minute, we're making 70 grand. Our numbers, we should be making millions. They're right. They should have been if they were independent and they weren't through us. But it's kind of like the band model, right? The right. band label. You signed a thing. Yeah. So we did give them a raise. They were each making about 500 grand by the end, I think, of year one. Sophia Franklin's boyfriend, Suit Man, was an executive at HBO. And what essentially happened is he started shopping Call Her Daddy around. And and we still own them. They stopped putting out the podcast. They wouldn't do anything. And they started leaving little clues like, hey, we're being held hostage in so many words by Barstool. Making stuff up, frankly. Um, and it got to the point, this is in the middle of COVID. And they wouldn't put out episodes and we're trying to pay the bills for everybody. So they came over to, and this is like for Barstool Lore and Call Her Daddy. We had a very famous meeting on the roof deck of where I lived. It was Alex and Sophia. And I said, listen, we own the IP. Call Her Daddy was ours. And I, I basically shortened their contract and agreed, I'll give you guys the IP. You guys just work one more year. Somewhere in there. Should have been two more. Um, they left. I'm like, this is this is the deal of a lifetime. We need to pay the bills and get them going. Alex calls two days later, and she says, listen, I want to take this deal. Sophia is never going to take this deal. She's in with her boyfriend. They're shopping it around. They're saying all these things. It's not going to happen. So I called both Sophia and Alex. I said, we're going to do a deal with Alex. Sophia, you come or you don't come, but we're, we're moving forward. Didn't hear anything back from Sophia. Alex, we do the deal with, and it's all because – of the boyfriend. We had Scooter Braun. This is also, you know, Scooter Braun, the like, he's Bieber's agent. He calls, I've never talked to Scooter Braun ever. Um, I got a call from a guy I know, Dave Grutman, who's like a Miami, like, nightlife guy. He goes, Hey, I got Scooter Braun on the other line. Will you talk to him? I go, Yeah, but you tell him everything he says to me is on the record. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I'm in my own world. I could give a fuck less who Scooter Braun is. So Scooter Braun gets on the phone. He goes, I talked to Sophia Franklin. This is after we already moved along. It's like, I think you should take her back, do the deal. I was like, all right, whatever. We're already moving on. Hung up, made a video instantly. I'm like, Scooter Braun just called me. Who the fuck does Scooter Braun think he is? And the rest is so much history. Alex went, got this huge deal. She's killing it. Um, besides you, I think she's just about the biggest podcast out there. And Sophia went on her way. Um, I, I went nuts. Like I, I actually hijacked their stream. Like we had their stream, and what they hadn't posted in maybe two or three months. I just went on. They, all these caller daddy fans thought it was going to be the next caller daddy. It was just me explaining what the situation was and all these all their fans had no idea who I was like who the fuck's wow. this guy so it uh it they went their separate ways and what actually happened with them behind the scenes who knows i believe alex's side of the events but it it really seemed like he thought he was going to take them be their manager it was what's the big there was there's some big network that like basically had the deal ready for them so it turned into a huge thing this is all during covid it 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 was a big story. What is Sophia doing now? She has her own podcast, Sophia with an F. Um, she's not my favorite person. She's not my favorite person. <laughs> well, I got to think that people like that are influenced by the people that were. Is that guy still her boyfriend? No. And you know what's crazy? Oof. I thought if you asked me beforehand. That guy cost her millions. 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 
millions and millions. It was so Imagine cr- how long that podcast could have kept going. And everything on the IP. And they could have left uh, and gone to Spotify the same way with her attached. And she would everything. be fucking driving a pink Rolls Royce and balling out of control. I don't know that she's doing terribly. She's certainly not doing what Alex is. And what does Alex do now for a co-host? Does she have a co-host? Solo. Solo. Just took it. She So it went Good from splitting her. it 50-50. <laughs> she just took it all. Yeah. yeah. That was crazy. Crazy. It's it's weird when there's one person that's like the driving force behind it, but then another person is connected to it. And like that person thinks that they should be the person. And it was a he said, she said on who was doing it. Boyfriend is also in the business. And he, listen, trust me, I got this. I'm going to handle this. I'm gonna, and also he's like the new boyfriends who's fucking excited about it all. And, I mean, he, he's, he's actually a boxing guy. I've never met him. He's a boxing guy? Yeah, he, he, did, he did all HBO boxing. Interesting, which doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately, no. which is a tr- fucking terrible tragedy. I used to love HBO boxing. Me Jim too. Lampley and fucking Roy Jones Jr. Legendary and, Knights are like oh the best. My God. Have you seen those documentaries? Yes. Oh, those yes. are the best. HBO boxing was one of the greatest institutions that ever existed. And the fact that they went away made me so fucking sad. I couldn't understand why they would do that. They put on some of the most amazing fights ever. And the broadcast was excellent. Jim Lampley's the best of the best. He was so good. Other than John Anik, who I think is the GOAT, John Anik is the greatest play-by-play guy that has ever existed. He's the best. And then Lampley, for me, was the best in boxing. He and was Howard so Letterman. fucking smooth. Harold Letterman. They had it all. Yeah. Everybody. I mean, fucking, it was amazing. The, yeah. The different people that they had that would sit in and, 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 and do commentary. It was fucking perfect. It was the perfect group. It really was. It was and perfect it, it, it for boxing. It always had that big fight feel, but boxing's so fucked up. Yeah. I mean, I love boxing. Larry but... Merchant was get all grumpy and shit. And <laughs> but remember perfect, Larry Merchant per- was perfectly in... yeah. grumpy. Remember when he was in the ring with uh, Floyd Mayweather? Oh, I was 20 years younger. I'd kick your <laughs> yeah, ass. Like... Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean... It's like the craziest thing that anybody could ever say ever. You're literally talking to the greatest boxer the world has ever known. Yeah. And you're saying, play that, play that. Look at this. That, even though it appeared that he didn't wasn't protecting himself and thought that that was part of the ceremony that you were going through of apology that you unfairly took advantage of it what do you say to those who say what'd you do there you were winning the fight in charge i just want to say everybody that bought pay-per-view that came out to las vegas thank you you know you're a promoter but now we're talking to you as a prize fighter Let's take a look at what happened at the end of the fight, oh, let's look and at you it. describe wait, wait. it. I love this moment. We touch, we touch gloves, we back to fight hook, right hand, that and that's hook. all she wrote. So it, it, for you, it was just an automatic response. Let's get on with the fight. Let's protect yourself at all times. He done something dirty. Uh, we're not here to cry and complain about what he did dirty or what I did dirty. I was victorious. If he wanted a rematch, he can get a rematch. You were in charge of the fight. You were aggressive and trying and taking advantage of what you, know you saw. You know what I'm gonna do? Cause you don't ever give me a face shake. You know that? So I'm gonna go and let you talk to Victor Ortiz. All right? I'm through. They put somebody else up and give me an interview. Talk what are you to talking Ortiz. about? <laughs> you, 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 you never give me a face shake. HBO needs to fire you. You don't know shit about boxing. 
You ain't shit. Girl, you got shit. I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. <laughs> 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 yeah. First of all, I'm on Team Floyd Mayweather in that exchange. You got to protect yourself at all times. You have to protect yourself at all times. Also, Victor Ortiz did do something dirty. He headbutted him. Also, you know that's just all within the rules of boxing. That's why he won the fight. Also, Larry Merchant, I don't agree with the way he communicates with fighters. The way the way I communicate with fighters. I try to be 100% respectful at all times and also with reverence to the fact that these people they they trained for their whole life and then you know 6 to 12 weeks for this particular event when I'm in the ring and I'm I'm in the cage and I'm trying to interview a fighter all I'm trying to do is try to get that person to express themselves the best way that they can as respectfully as they can I would have not uh, talked to him like that Yeah you're you're you come across to me as part of the brotherhood of the fighting community, whereas I get like Larry Merchant, even like Jim Gray, like I don't get that they, they come across very different to me, and I don't mean like you're carrying anybody's water. They're but, sports broadcasters. Yes, right. You you are you are part of the UFC. Yeah, I also I I do it from a deep respect, like. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's even your what you were we were talking about earlier. Your your training and all that's what I mean. There's a they're coming at it totally different. Well, Larry Merchant came from a different world. You know, it's a different world. That back in that world, you the sports world, the way uh, sports broadcasters talk about athletes is very different than the way fight broadcasters talk about athletes. You know, sports broadcasters will call athletes bums. They'll call athletes. You know, he's lazy. He's this. He's that. I will never fucking say that in a million years. I also think social media sort of changed because his era, athletes couldn't go direct right. to right. social media and that express themselves. That was him themselves. going direct. Yeah, right. That Exa was him expressing himself. Exactly. Look, you know, I don't think uh, I don't think Floyd's wrong. I think Floyd's right, and I love Larry Merchant. But you know, look, that's just what it is. Look, I think the whole exchange is hilarious. Uh, hilarious. It's amazing. But I would never talk to Floyd Mayweather that way. I would try to get him to express himself the best way possible. When he said, "I want to thank the fans for coming out," I would let him say that. Yeah, right. I would have let him go get it all out of his system, and I would say, "So your perspective is that he should have protected himself at all times." I would have said, "What did you feel like when he headbutted you?" That's what I probably would have said. Right. Like that was a crazy moment. What did you feel like? I just want him to express himself. It's not about me. It's about me trying to figure out the best way to get the fighter to express themselves. I want them to have like. Did you ever see Michael Chandler? When Michael Chandler uh, called out Conor McGregor, he had like one of the fucking greatest post-fight speeches of all time. I barely talked, you know, and he was just talking about, I am the most entertaining fighter in the UFC. I was like, fuck yeah. Right. Let him, I don't want to interrupt. No, no, no. Get, no, no, no. You tell me why this and that. And that. To, I don't to Merchant's defense, not, I, defense may not be the right word. Let's, He's let's just play an this. old guy. Play this, play this, play this, play this from the beginning. Oh, to find it without this fucking shitty music. Jesus Christ, people ruin everything. Why would you have music over that louder than him talking? Fucking jerk-offs. Find the real one. Oh, it's got to be available. Okay, just f try to find it. 
Try, no worries. No worries. Larry Merch is an old dude, so he can sort of play that role. Like I don't. It's a different world. Yeah, different, different time, different era, and he didn't start out as a fighter. He, he started, well, that's what I'm right. Yeah, it's like, ladies and gentlemen, referee yeah. Jason spectacular. It's the first time I saw outside, inside of you, and God came through. Here we are. You were saying something to your corner in between rounds about your right eye. Yeah, I, it's it's the first time I've been hit. And then my vision went double vision. Don't tell the commission. Is it back now? No, it's fine. It's fine. I think it just uh, swelled up pretty quick. I think we're good. Listen, I'm ready to come back. The main event. There is not one MMA fan on the planet that doesn't want to see me rematch you, Charles, or rematch you, Dustin Gaethje, or rematch a fight of the year 2021. Five rounds for the UFC lightweight title. If Hunter Campbell and Dana White have a momentary lapse of judgment and they give this title shot to someone else, I got one dude on my mind. Conor McGregor, you gotta come back and fight somebody. I am the most entertaining lightweight on the planet. But I want to up the stakes, Conor. I want you at your biggest, I want you at your baddest, and I want you at your best. You and me at 170. This summer, this fall, this winter, coming at your boy. God bless. I'll see you at the top. Michael Chandler, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, it's a great speech. You have totally, Woo! totally different techniques. Also, you're the announcer. So, like, you, you're. Larry Merchant has his two minutes sort of to no, get but he's an announcer too does he call the fights yes. yeah he calls the fights yeah oh, well then i retract that that yeah, made he, no he sense he calls the fights and then he but goes you're very the different you let the fighters shine i want him to shine i want that yeah that was a great great a lot of them have great the ufc guys are great on the mic and the yeah. mic for that one thing that's never changed for the fight game the mic matters they're learning they're learning you know and they're learning i think because of connor connor changed everything and chael sonnen changed it first Chael Sonnen was the first, because Chael Sonnen did it in a way. <laughs> well, he's like super witty. He's fucking great. When he said, Anderson Silva, you absolutely suck. He's <laughs> literally talking about the greatest middleweight of all time, who was a fucking ninja. He was an assassin. He was in the, he was in the Matrix. When, when he was at his best... Anderson Silva, you absolutely suck. <laughs> and look at Anderson. Yeah. Anderson knows he's going to light that dude up like a Christmas tree. Look at Super Bowl weekend, the biggest rematch in the history of the business. I'm calling you out, Silva, but we're up in the stakes. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> Chael, he has like... WWE microphone Oh my skills. god, he's so good. He's so smart and he's so witty and he's so good at it. You know, when he got popped for uh, steroids and a bunch of stuff, he, <laughs> he and I had a conversation about it. He goes, yeah, you know that uh, the US, USDA, USADA, turns out they're really good. <laughs> no, <laughs> they're, they're really good at catching you. <laughs> from the outside, he, he's always been as good as uh, you can be on a mic. Well, he opened up a lot of people's eyes to what you could accomplish with that. Because although Chael was a world-class fighter, defeated world champions, submitted, submitted Mauricio Shogun Hua, I mean, uh, he, he beat guys when they were at the top of their fucking game who were, like, beating Nate Marquardt when he was a fucking killer. I mean, Chael Sonnen was a 
beast. He was really fucking good. And people get confused about that because of like his uh, antics and his. I mean, he's not the guy that's going to beat John Jones. He's not the guy that's going to beat Anderson Silva. He almost beat Anderson Silva, but Anderson Silva had a fucked up rib going into that fight and wound up submitting him in in the last round with a fucking triangle, which was wild. But Chael opened up people's eyes to the benefit and the value of promotion. And to be witty and, and entertaining and get people inter- get people invested in you fighting. They wanted to see you get your ass kicked. They wanted to see you win. They wanted to see there was some shit talking going on. And then Conor McGregor took that to a completely right. new level. And while well, he also had the combo, if you have the, you know, you can talk like him and back it up. Yes. Yeah. You, you can talk like him and you're also the elite of the elite, you know? That's how you become Conor McGregor. Yeah. I mean, but just like. That is very, very valuable, and promotion is very, very valuable, and they learned that, and you know, and I wanted to help those guys do that in those moments. That's yeah. what, the, all I'm trying to do is get you, like I've had conversations with people that uh, that wind up getting jobs like that and other promotions, and the, and I say here's it's not about you. Make sure you know it's not about you. What, all you're trying to do is get them to give the best interview that they can give. And just stay out of the way. Yeah. Stay out of the way and and make it as entertaining as possible. Like when Derek Lewis, Derek Lewis takes his shorts off in the middle of the cage, and I go, so "Why'd you take your shirts off?" He goes, "My balls was hot." <laughs> I mean, they're all. And I'm like, I understand, crazy. sir. Okay. <laughs> I mean, my whole thing is just make them shine. That's all I'm trying to do. And occasionally, occasionally, I have to confront them about certain things, like when Hamzat Chemayev beat Kevin Holland. See if you can find that interview. When Hamzat Chemayev beat Kevin Holland, I was in a very interesting situation because Hamzat weighed in eight and a half pounds overweight, and he fucked up the entire main event because he was supposed to be fighting Nate Diaz. So I was in this situation where I wanted to praise Hamzat because he just ragdolled Kevin Holland yep. in one of the most spectacular performances of the year. I mean, he showed why he's the motherfucker of motherfuckers and why everybody's scared of him, but also... He weighed in eight and a half pounds right. overweight. He fucked up the entire promotion. Like, why did it happen? And so, like, play, play for me again. with the winner, Hamza Chumayev. Hey, so what now? Say something! So what now? This is Chechnya, This is Chechnya. Hamza, that was an incredibly professive, impressive performance against a very dangerous guy in Kevin Holland, but you just ran right through. I'm the most dangerous guy here. I got a cover for everyone. I saw this. I actually watched this fight. Came into this fight far overweight. What was that all about? I don't care about that, bro. I killed that guy. Gotta go for everybody. I can't believe I here. Let's come down. Give it to both guys who last year. I bite the both of them. I know you don't care about that now, but if you want to compete for the welterweight title, it's important that they know you can make 170 pounds. Yes, so what? Of course I believe. I'm supposed to make that weight as well. But doctor, stop me. Nobody can stop me. If I die, I die in the cage. I didn't come here to make my weight. I died in my bed. I can't die in the cage. I'm dying in the cage. I never leave that cage now. It's my home. I can take everything from you guys. I believe that, Hamzat, but imagine if this was a fight for the title and you came in eight pounds over, it wouldn't have taken place. It was lower. The guy said to me, the doctor, you have to drink water and make some vitamins and And they let me do that And I knew, I knew that night I'm going to fight that guy. So they make my weight up to the guy. 
Yeah, I wasn't that more. So the doctor told you to stop cutting the weight, but you believe you still could have made it? Yes. Okay, let's take a look at the finish because it was absolutely. I give so you that... the most credit. I, I had a hard time. You understand? Stood him perfectly. I, I love that dude. I love that. You may be the only one. That crowd was. That, I fucking love him to death. You, he's got the opposite effect. The whole crowd was booing him. Yeah. Which is good. At, by the way, just as good as cheering. I don't know why they were booing him. I mean, they can do whatever they want. That's what do you mean their why they're booing him? He he basically. Did you watch that interview? He missed weight, and then he's basically like, "Fuck you, fuck you." Yeah, I get that. But you know, Kevin Holland was supposed to be fighting uh, Daniel Rodriguez at 180 pounds. So Kevin Holland was 180. He was at 180. He fought a guy that was at his weight class in that fight. So, but and dominated. Well, here's but, a question then: with fighting, like I know with boxing, you don't study your opponent. Well, that was not the right opponent. Kevin Holland was not supposed to have that opponent. Correct. So Kevin Holland... Kevin Holland was supposed to fight Danny Rodriguez, right. who's primar primarily a stand-up So guy. did Kevin Holland have a choice? Like, no, I don't want this fight? Absolutely. Got it. Because, but I mean... Kevin he, Holland's a gangster. He, he'll fight anybody. And he said, I'll fucking take it. I'll take it. You know, Kevin Holland's a fucking entertaining guy. But yeah, this I, is... Uh, yeah, for this a fight, fight is crazy. where you just trained stand-up... And you're against literally the best wrestler in the division who's a fucking motherfucker. That guy is a motherfucker. Hamzat ragdolls people and talks shit while he's doing it. He picked up Lee Jingleon and carried him to Dana White while he was talking shit. Yeah, well, that's my point, though, to what, what you're saying is a gangster. So he took the fight. Like, you train for one guy, then you get the... Yeah. Arguably the best guy is a totally different style. He had to just do, do what he did and, and hope that his skills would prevail, and they didn't. He got fucked up. Yeah. But if he survived that, let me tell you something. The pace that Hanzat put on in that first round, I don't know if he would have been able to do that for three rounds. He mm. might have significantly tired if he didn't get that finish because the amount of – look at this. He picks up Lee Jingleon, and he carries him over to Dana White, drops him down, and while he was doing it, he was talking shit to Dana. Like when he's, you're not seeing it here, but before that, when he picks up Lee Jingleon. I don't even think this was that. This is a different. This is a different fight. opponent. This is just him fucking. He just carries people him, around. This is him ragdolling people. Yeah. But when he fought Lee Jingleon, he literally hoisted him right up. Is right here. He he. Oh, no, no, that's an uppercut. That's in another organization. So he carries Lee Jingleon over to Dana White. And so he, he just look carries at this. people. Look, he's looking over at Dana White. He's like, I fucking kill everyone. <laughs> Like he's lift, lifting the dude in the. That's not Lee Jingleon either. That's another guy. Sure, right, correct. He just carries people then because we've well, seen he's two just different a monster. Yeah, that's he's what a monster. But the fact that he's literally hoisting Lee Jingleon, who's a top flight fighter, top flight welterweight fighter, he's holding him up in the air and talking to Dana White. I kill everyone. He's like in the middle Everybody of a fight. Everybody talks to Dana White. Yeah, but he, he, every, during the middle of yeah. a fight while you're fucking a guy up, before you even decide to fuck him up, you're holding him up in the air, talking shit. That's how good that guy is. He's so good, and he's so focused and dedicated. Hamza Chemaev is a fucking terrifying human being. So who's terrifying. his, like, okay, so I'm the casual. I know who he is now. I've known who he three. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he's a guy, if they got a fight, like, who... Who's capable of giving him a fight? Everybody in the division, the top guys. Bilal Muhammad, uh, Leon Edwards, who's the champion, Kamaru Usman. All those guys are very capable so of giving Usman, him a fight. So is Usman, he's a huge name, obviously. He's For the sure. one who got caught by Edwards. Yes. So are, is that the next fight? 
I think Usman, the, the rumor was that he has to get hand surgery. Uh, Kamaru Usman had uh, a, a tear in one of the ligaments in his hand that had bothered him for a long time. It was misdiagnosed. And then he had a, eventually wound up getting surgery. And he got that surgery before the Leon Edwards fight. But I believe the word is that he needs another surgery for his hand. I don't know if it's the same hand. I don't know what it is. But I do know that there's been talk of whether or not he will fight Leon Edwards for the title in England now. Because that's a giant fight. Leon's coming home. Right. Spectacular knockout. One of the greatest head kick knockouts, if not the greatest, the most consequential in the history of the sport. Fifth round, down on the cards, a minute to go. And then again, that's why John Anik is the GOAT. John Anik is literally saying that he could stop and he could he could resign himself to his fate, but that's not the cloth he's cut from. Yeah. Boom! Head yeah. kick. Right after he says that. It's the greatest call in the, the history of MMA and maybe the history of all sports. And then that would be the big fight. There's the the rematch because Kamara was winning that fight, and if he just chose to fight defensively and move away that round, he would have won that fight. But he, he engaged and he got head kicked. That would be the big fight. But if Leon wants to fight in March, and if Kamaru can't recover in time, I don't. Maybe it was a minor surgery that only needed a few weeks off, and he can get back. I don't know what the story is, but I've heard various mm -hmm. stories. I haven't talked to Leon. I haven't talked to Dana about it. I don't know what's going on. What it? What is the latest on the latest? I saw it's still from like December. Was. Wonderboy Thompson said something in an interview, and then like Ali said, that's fake news, and I haven't, I can't find another update newer than that. Hmm. Like he said, he was supposed to have hand surgery. Is what Thompson was saying. They might want him to fight <laughs> Edwards. Might, well, dude, if but but Thompson broke his his hand in that fight too. Thompson folk broke his hand in the fight with Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland broke his hand on Wonderboy, and oh, Wonderboy I, broke his hand on Kevin Holland. That. He said they're looking at Jorge Masvidal. <clears throat> no, that's a good fight. That was a good fight because Jorge Masvidal uh, sucker punched Leon Edwards backstage when uh, Jorge uh, just won a fight, and then I think he just knocked out Darren Till. Masvidal was my most Miami <laughs> night I've ever had. What happened? <laughs> I love him. So <laughs> he, he, I am in Miami, and uh, I got invited to a barbecue at Masvidal's house, and I've known Masvidal from the early, like, you know, backyard fights, basically, oh, wow. the, the Kimbo stuff. The Kimbo like, I knew stuff. it was. Yeah. It's like, all right, I'll, I'll go to this. Uh, they asked. They actually, they were, yeah, there it is. <laughs> they actually asked me. They go, uh, you you bringing a girlfriend? And I was like, should I? Like, I, I will. I don't even know how they had, they knew I had a girlfriend. Like, no, don't bring her if you're coming to this. It's like, all right, fine. It was, they had a girl sitting next to me who was, like, assigned to me, basically. Like, everywhere I went, the girl was following. And finally, I they're like, somebody, they're like, are you not interested? It's like, no, I'm not interested. I have a, I have a girlfriend. She was there for me. It was a wild, <laughs> wild experience. They had all this food, barbecue, everything. But uh, that was, to me, he's like the real king of Miami. It was a... It was a wild, wild barbecue. He's a, he's a bad motherfucker. That knockout of uh, Ben Askren was oh one my of the God. craziest knockouts in the history of sport. That was crazy. And one of the great celebrations oh my God. of all time. Oh, my God. The sleep celebration. Yeah, when he just and he punched him a couple of times while he's out cold. Whoo. Somebody did that celebration the other night. They mimicked it. I forget what I was watching. 
but they mimicked the Masvidal. That to me is like maybe the most iconic celebration I've seen. It's one of them. It's definitely one of them. It's uh, it was just a perfectly timed and a clever knockout. He did it on purpose. He did it. He planned it out, and you could see him training that. There's video footage of him training. I, I saw that because he knew that Askren's instinct was 100 percent going to shoot. And if he gave him that opportunity, so he came at him like this, then he went at him at an angle. Yeah. And then when he went out on an angle, Askren is just immediately going to try to contain him. That's in his instinct. It's his fucking DNA. He's an elite wrestler. Right. And then he comes at him with that flying knee. And I like perfect. Ben. Ben has one of the now his legacy is getting knocked out for a guy who was like what you said a world class wrestler. Well, we got him. Unfortunately, it was I was one of the reasons why he got into the, the UFC because I was telling Dana forever, you got to get this guy. He's great. He's great with the mouth, and he's a specialist, man. When he was in Bellator, that's when he was in his prime. When we got him in the UFC, he already had fucked up hip. Like he had a hip replacement. And you know, and then when he fought uh, Jake Paul in the boxing match, which he had no business in doing, he just did it because he's just give it a try and, it's and a, a lot of money. Yeah, right. Uh, he had no business doing that. That's not his sport. But when he was in Bellator, when he was the champion in Bellator, he was a motherfucker. He would ragdoll people like Douglas Lima and Andre Koroskov, all these elite killer fighters. And I was like, Jesus Christ, could he do this to everybody? He might be able to do this to everybody. And he might have been able to do that to everybody if they fought him during that time period. But unfortunately, he was in Bellator, and Bellator was always considered like the B League. Right. It was never, you know, like it was always like guys who fought there, they fought there because they couldn't fight in the UFC. And I was like, maybe for some of them, but I don't think that's the case for. There's guys over there in Bellator, guys like Douglas Lima, that I could think could beat anybody in the world. They just have to, they just have to be in the situation where they could fight them. And that's how I felt about Ben Askren at that time. I'm like, he's so fucking good, man. He's so fucking good. And his wrestling was so above and beyond what everybody else's was. That he would get a hold of you and you were just going down. Yeah. You're going for a ride, baby. And you couldn't stand up with him because you know you always worried that if you committed to a strike, he was going to grab a leg, grab an ankle, grab a, your fucking waist, and then you're ragdolled. Yeah. And that's what he did to everybody. Find like Ben Askren highlight in Bellator. Because when he was in Bellator, people thought it was boring. Because all he was doing was like throwing him to the ground and giving him noogies. Like he wasn't like a devastating <laughs> right. striker and he wasn't a devastating ground and pound man. But for me, it was I'm a purist. I want to see what a person is capable of doing to another person. And if even if it's not exciting, even if that person can just take that person down at will and hold them down and keep punching them. Even if the punches aren't devastating, I am fascinated by someone's ability to impose their skill set on someone else. See that I found. And this boring. was this was Ben Askren, man. He would just take guys down, and you know like, these aren't the most devastating elbows, but you ain't doing shit about it. You can't do shit about it. And if he can do that to you for five rounds, and so be it. Everybody got taken down. Everybody went for a ride. Everybody wound up with Ben Askren on top of them, beating the fucking shit out of them. And you know, was he the most exciting fighter? No. No, but was he exciting to me? Yes, because I'm a purist. <clears throat> what I wanted to see is guys at the, the height of their ability doing what they want to do to people. Look how he voids this leg lock and he just starts beating people up. They didn't know what the fuck to do. They couldn't believe it. He could just take you down at will. And the way he would do it was so weird, like that. Like, look at it. Just back up a little bit so you can see that exchange right there. Like, he's, he goes down on his back. 
and then grabs a hold of a leg. Like yeah, he's doing so you things gotta, that you're not supposed to do. You got to be a purist for that. This to me just looks like mesh. Like this to me is a turn the channel. But this is not to me because this is a guy that is doing what his skill set is. He's right, doing totally. wrestling. And he's doing it to the best fighters in the division and just beating the shit out of them. And no one could stop it. I firmly believe that if the Ben Askren in the peak of his condition at Bellator fight in the UFC, I think he's a fucking nightmare for everyone in the sport. Everyone. Maybe guys like Kamaru Usman, because he's also an elite wrestler, would give him a hard time. And maybe he would have beat him. But I would have loved to have seen it. I would have loved to have seen him against Tyron Woodley in his prime, against all those guys in their prime, against Wonderboy in his prime. I would have loved to see it. Could you stop that? Can you mm -hmm. stop that guy? So what do you think then of you're talking guys in their prime and what do you think you mentioned him, what do you think of the Jake Paul phenomenon? He's a bad motherfucker. And anybody who denies he's a bad motherfucker is crazy. He yeah. knocked down Anderson Silva in a boxing match. I don't care if Anderson Silva's forty seven years old. I I'm sure he's in the best shape that you could be at 47. And mm -hmm. I'm sure their drug testing was basically non-existent. I'm sure he was probably, you know, trained as well as you can be trained at 47 years old. And he's also like a certified killer. He's so good. Anderson Silva was so fucking good and still good. I mean, in the beginning of the first round, he was winning that fight. Mm -hmm. like you could see what Anderson Silva's capable of. And Jake Paul beat him. That's fucking end of story. Now, if he goes on to start beating actual, real, professional boxers with credible records, that's where things get interesting. And I think the way he's doing it is brilliant. He's, he's, he fights Nate Robinson. He fights Ben Askren. He fights Tyron Woodley. Gets all these fucking brutal knockouts against guys who are like, at least have names. Tyron mm -hmm. Woodley. Even though Tyron Woodley might have been, you know, at the end of his career and maybe not as dedicated he was when he was the welterweight champion of the UFC, he's still Tyron fucking Woodley. He's still a dangerous, dangerous man. And Jake Paul flatlined him. Yeah. Flatlined him. That is yeah, I don't know if one I'll punch. Ever, I don't know if he'll ever fight a boxer. I don't of course know why. You think so? Sure. Why? Because if the money's right. If the money's right and they give him the right fight where it makes sense, like Tommy Fury. That's a good fight for him. Tommy Fury is not a real boxer. Of course he's a real boxer. No chance. He's a professional boxer. Is he a world champion? No. But he's it maybe he is. Is he? No. What is he? What is like Tommy, Tommy Fury? He might have some sort of a title. If he does, it's a name only. I, I saw Tommy Fury box. He is not a boxer. Well, he's definitely a boxer. Well, he puts on gloves. He's definitely a boxer. But is he a boxer like his brother? Well, no. Well, clearly, but you Tommy Fury would not, we would not know who Tommy Fury was if his last name wasn't Fury. Probably we wouldn't know as much about him. I don't. But he's still a good looking guy. He's built great. He, you know, he looks well, like, those are, a, he yeah. looks, the, looks the part. Looks the part, no doubt. But what I'm saying, when I guess he's let a me, good journeyman boxer. Let me rephrase this. I'm not, I, I think Jake Paul would kill Tommy Fury and that wouldn't change. I don't know how good Jake Paul is, but I don't know. I don't know of any boxer who can bring enough to a Jake Paul so fight. So here's, here's Tommy Fury. You tell me this guy doesn't look like a boxer, you're out of your fucking mind. Who is he fighting? But I don't give a fuck, dude. Look at this. Look at this. He's fighting a professional boxer. The guy's fighting looks good. Dude, you're crazy if you don't think Tommy Fury no, is a boxer. I don't think... Look at that uppercut. Shut the fuck up, dude. No. Shut the find, fuck up. Watch this. Find, look, the, Tommy look Fury, this. Time, find dude, the Tommy Fury fight dude, on the shut Jake the Paul fuck, card. Shut the fuck this up. This guy and, cannot. Please shut the fuck up and watch this. Watch what he's doing. This motherfucker is 100% a boxer. Can you You're find at, me the record of Borgiansky? Stop. Watch this. Watch this. Look at this. 
Look at this. What is this that? This guy's a fucking boxer, that man. That doesn't prove anything. Find me the r- record of Bonkyonsky. Just look at this. Just look at what Dude, he's doing. That's. I don't give a shit. Look at the way he's delivering these combinations. He's 100% a boxer. No. Dude, you're high. You're no. fucking high. Look at that Maybe right hand. Cigar. Dude, look at this fucking punching ability. Tommy Fury is 100% a legit boxer. You're out of your mind no. if you don't look at this. What, what look at that, that you right think hand? That, what, that's a, that was in slow motion. No, I it's think. not in slow motion. I think you slowed that down. No, no, no one's. This is a highlight, no, is a highlight reel. reel. But look at his highlight reel. Look at his highlight reel. He is 100% a legitimate professional boxer. If you don't think so, you're just being a hater. No, I'm not a hater, dude. I'm telling Why would you, I hate Tommy Fury. He might not. He's not Dimitri Bivol. He's not Canelo Alvarez. But he is 100% a real boxer. I'd like to get. The combined records of everybody Tommy Furious fight. I would sure, guess there's not sure. more than two wins on there. But do you no, there is for sure. But do you know that that's also the case with a lot of undefeated fighters as they're making their way up? Because what happens is fighters are very clever, their managers are very clever. They match them up with people that's totally. gonna give them a good record. Because in boxing, if you're gonna be challenging Canelo Alvarez or whatever, they wanna see 16 and 0. They wanna yep. see someone who's uh, like an undefeated fighter or like 16 is, and 1. The last guy he fought was 11 and 2. Yeah, I mean that's a good fighter. I feel it, dude. You're out of your mind. I don't Get, think so. Play that highlight reel again. Well, I just want you to look at this. I, I want you to look at this objectively. If you look at this objectively, and you look at the way he's knocking guys out and landing punches, I have nothing against Tommy dude, Fury. But just just it's watch bad. some of this. Just watch some of this, dude. This oh. is legit boxing, man. Watch this. You're out of your fucking mind if can, you don't can, think that's wait, good. Can we, look can at this. Can we Shut rewind the fuck that up one? And look can at we this. rewind yeah. and sh- show the punch that guy in the red trunks threw? That was because the, the guy's already rocked. No, he wasn't rocked. Yes, when he, he threw was. That. He absolutely was. He'd already been pummeled. I saw that fight. That are, the guy was already getting his ass kicked. He what was already getting Five his ass six? kicked. Right, yeah. yeah, he was already getting his ass kicked, man. Watch this right hand. Dude, that is legit. If you don't think that's legit, you're fucking crazy. Watch this uppercut. Watch this punch. Boom, body, body to the head. Dude, he's legit. 100% legit. Are these guys the best fighters in the world? We're going to have to agree to disagree. Are these fighters the best in the world? But watch his skills, man. These skills are absolutely legit. I'm telling you, you can't disparage a man's ability to land punches like this. Then why hasn't he fought? Why does he keep backing out of Jake? I don't know what's going on. I don't know if he gets injured. Look, guys get fucked up all the time in training. They break hands. They fuck their wrists up. Their shoulders get injured. Fights get canceled. They get moved around. I mean, that's like saying like Errol Spence and, and Terrence Crawford suck because they haven't fought each other. They, there's no. A, there's a, but but they, there's a reason why they haven't fought each other. They're trying to make the most amount of money possible. It's the same thing with Tommy Fury. They're trying to set it up where if he's going to fight in the lead fighter. I hope they fight because I'll put my net worth on Jake Paul. What if Tommy Fury boxes him up? What are you going to do then? He, he won't. He you won't. don't know that. I, I you don't know I that. I was at the fight, the Jake Paul fight in Cleveland. Tyrone Woodley won. Mm-hmm. And Tommy Fury fought on that undercard. Okay. He was the worst fighter I've ever seen. So maybe okay, he's well, improved. Okay, let's find that fight. Maybe he's let's impro- find that fight. Maybe he's improved by light Just years since what that I'm fight. I'm seeing right but there. That is a I boxer. could probably watch you you're saying versus that's... a tomato can and you'd be throwing haymakers and be like, oh, he can throw punches, but you're it's but versus that's, a tomato that's can. That's not just haymakers. That's skillful boxing. The way he's setting that up, that's very skillful. So here's the fight versus Taylor. Taylor, by the way, I think showed up on he, he, he was working the ticket booth before this. <laughs> Somebody dropped out and they needed 
Yeah, I do believe this is a last-minute replacement. But what I'm seeing is a real boxer. And if you don't think he's a real boxer, you're being a hater. I have no reason to hate him because he's good-looking. No, because he's Tommy Fury's brother, or he's a, you know. I love Tom, Tyson Fury's I, brother. I love and, Tyson Fury. I I just have never. We're gonna have to agree. I I don't think he can. It's not the best video, but you're still seeing a real boxer, man. Well, he's he, a fucking boxer. Just by standing there? No, by boxing. He's fucking boxing. This might not be the best performance that he ever has ever had in his career, but what I see from his highlight reel, what I see from some of the fights that I've watched, he's a good boxer, man. You're seeing it right here. He's a real boxer, dude. You think he's not? You're crazy. If you're saying he was good in this fight, I, I got nothing for you because right, he was— Right here. What are you seeing here? You're seeing a bad fighter? I'm seeing a guy just standing in the ring. Oh, you're so crazy. You, you're seeing a good fighter right he's there? He's fighting. He's fighting but, a guy that's not elite. But me and elite. you, if we just start fighting, we're fighting. Yeah, but he's not fighting a guy that's elite, but he's still fighting. He's a real boxer. Okay. For you to say he's not a real boxer is crazy. What's Anthony Taylor's record? This is a last-minute replacement, right? This is not the best example of, of him. And I'm not saying that he's even reached his full potential or gotten to a place where I think that he should be in consideration to be fighting I'm for just any saying, kind of a title. Jake Paul beating Tommy Fury does nothing for me in terms of me. I think Jake Paul, I, I have no idea. I'd love to see him fight what I consider a guy who has dedicated his life to boxing, which Tommy Fury has not. How do you know? Because you, I've watched him fight. Oh, that's so crazy. It's so crazy to say. How do you know he hasn't dedicated his life because you watched him fight and he doesn't seem to? Because he's on. He was on. Uh, he's uh, two and three. That guy was two and three. Yeah. So if you can really fight, you take him out pretty quick. There's Tommy a lot Fury, of guys that are two was, and three that are still good fighters. He was on. Uh, he's Big Brother. Yeah. That's not a real fighter. Because he was on Big Brother. Yeah, because he's on Big Brother for publicity. Yeah, he was definitely on for publicity. But, but wasn't Andrew Tate on one of those fucking stupid reality shows too? Andrew Tate was a world-class kickboxer, a world champion kickboxer. Like it doesn't mean that someone sucks just because they're on some stupid reality show. Was he was Tate on before or after? I don't know. He was on Big Brother, I think. No, he was. Mm -hmm. I he wasn't got kicked off, I think. Yep. Yeah. And kicked off. What do you yeah. think of what do you think of all his stuff? <sighs> I don't know what's happening, right? Like what is what what really happened? And why is why is Romania going after him? Are they being pressured by someone else to do this? Like, what what is the reason why they're doing it? And what do they have on him? I don't know. Yeah, well, that to me is the right answer. It, it how nobody knows. A lot of people are acting like they know. If you go read, well, they want him, which to, is crazy. They want him to go down, and they want him. He represents something. He represents toxic masculinity. He well, he is. He he is sort of toxic. Romania I mean, he says crazy stuff. They seize but. his car collection as investigation continues. The one thing I don't get about this, well, I do get. I understand people are actually like want the charges to be true, which is crazy because that would mean a lot of bad shit to happen to a lot of bad people. Yeah, I would rather the charges be incorrect. Uh, you know, look, Romania, I don't know what their system is like. I don't know whether they're corrupt. I've heard things, but I don't I don't have any real information. Uh, so I'd be talking out of my ass to say, you know, if he really did, like, sex traffic people, if he really did all the things he's saying, well, I hope that gets proven in court, and I, I hope he gets punished, if he really did that. If he didn't do that, I hope he gets exonerated, and I hope he gets the fuck out of Romania. I don't know. I don't know what he did. 
I know a lot of what he does is theater, right? A lot of what he does is very like satire. He he plays the role of this boastful misogynist who smokes cigars and drives Lamborghinis, and that's his thing. And because of that, he's amassed an amazing amount of money. And he's done it by doing this character, this online persona, but then also says very wise things. He says ridiculous shit, mm-hmm. but also says really interesting things. He's a very smart guy. If you li- listen to him being interviewed by Patrick Bet David, Patrick Bet David interviewed him after he got canceled off of all social media. And Patrick is fantastic. He's really good at letting people talk and talking to everybody. And, re- and, and Patrick is so wealthy and so successful outside of the world of podcasting that he don't only does it because he's interested mm-hmm. in it. And so he's the perfect guy to handle that because he does not afraid of talk to talk to anybody. He'll talk to anybody. And so he had him on for a long form conversation. They talk for hours and you get to see this is a very intelligent and calculated guy. You might not agree with his message. You might not agree with all the misogynist stuff. You might not agree with And I don't agree with it. You might not agree with uh, all the, the crazy antics, but you cannot deny that that's been incredibly successful because it resonates with a lot of young men who don't feel represented in the media. And they see this guy and it looks like fun. Do they agree with what he's saying? That doesn't mean they agree with it. They think it's fun. It's like pro wrestling. He's like a bad guy in pro wrestling. He's a heel. He's smoking cigars yep. with his Lamborghinis. and See, that's where I go. I go. I think there's probably a lot of people think that, and then I think there's probably other people who take it seriously, which is where that's where it's a super. That is where it gets fucked up. Where where it gets fucked up is like young boys repeating the shit that he's saying to young girls, because I mean he says they're they're supposed property and he owns them, which is nuts. And so you hope people are like, oh, that's an act. The one thing I will say for an intelligent guy, which I agree with you, he is to be doing the things he's being accused of doing and then go seek publicity is a very unwise move. If he did the things Correct. that he did. Then, then it's like, why, you would think if you're committing atrocities, you would try to stay under the radar. He does quite the opposite. Yeah, but, but again, we don't know. No, nobody right? knows. That's the problem. Is I mean, that's some like the know, pizza right? thing, the pizza box. I don't know if you saw that. Everybody saying he got busted because of the pizza box, and then the authorities like that had nothing to do with no, it. No, they knew he was in Romania. It was just what's that word? Schadenfreude. 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 That's I mean, I what know. it was. Like he's making fun of Greta Thunberg, and then he gets fucking arrested right afterwards. It's kind of hilarious. Yeah, the way it happens, it, like people said, that's the biggest like third, self 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 owned third yeah. biggest tweet or retweet. It was Greta. I mean, it was yeah. It was okay. But. It's kind of funny when she said, "That's what happens. You don't recycle your pizza <laughs> that boxes." Was, yeah, that, that shit's was good. hilarious. That, that, that was good. Chad, that shit's hilarious. You got to give it to her. Look, and also, like, why are you going after some nineteen-year-old autistic girl who's really into like I tried climate to, change? Like, figure out whether that was provoked. Like, he just did that out of the blue. Yeah. Yeah, he's just yeah. talking shit. Now, again, that move from somebody who's being accused of sex trafficking, I think rape was thrown in there, and then you're out there being like, look at me, look at me, crazy. Again, but what you said nailed it. Nobody knows. I, yeah, I think the latest thing that they're saying is um, tax evasion, right? Isn't is that, that what they're it? saying? I'll be honest with you. I was Googling them now. I just found an exclusive story on Vice. That says the reason he was kicked off of Big Brother is not the reason that was publicly known or what was thought of. It says that he was arrested for suspicion of rape in 2015. He was uh, investigated over allegations of sexual assault and physical abuse in the UK, during which time he appeared on Big Brother for five days. This was just posted a little bit ago. 
UK authorities declined to prosecute. Um, this says that he was, they uh, told the producers of the show like five days before he was kicked off. And then a video was found of him uh, and a girl doing something that then they came out and said this was like a kinky video they were making. And everyone thought the girl came out video. and said that that was very consensual Correct. and that they were <clears throat> doing role play and that they liked to do this thing this, where he would like beat her up or this something. This article is saying that didn't have anything to do with why he's kicked yeah. off the show. This is one of the perfect. I don't know. This is one of the perfect examples, though, of kind of what we're talking about. Or I, like, I don't fucking believe yeah. Vice. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't believe. I, 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 how can you believe anything that is said about somebody so controversial because everybody seemingly has already made up their mind. Right. So where to get real information on him? Who knows? All the objectionable stuff I think also was unnecessary. I think if he want, I mean, I don't know him. If I did know him, I would tell him all the, the boastful shit and the, the, the shit about him being, you know, the top G and all that stuff. All that shit's great. The misogynistic stuff, like if you have daughters or if you have a wife or if you have sisters and stuff like that, you don't want that. Well, you don't that 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 narrative, like putting that out there, that's negative to everybody. It's not it's not even positive to him. It's like it's not necessary. We had him on one of our podcasts and he almost struck me exactly how you said, like for let's say talking for 10 minutes. I'm like, oh, making sense, smart. And then he says something so wild. Over the top, literally, like women are my property, like I own them. It's like, whoa, what'd you just say? And that's what he does. But yeah. he's also selling that class. It, it, what is the class? It, the Hustlers it, University. Yeah. What is that? What it's are they like teaching you, people you, you, to hustle? But what are they teach? Are they? I, I don't know. To hustle, they can quit at any time they want. It's like I seventy bucks it, a yeah. month, right? and you become a top G. <laughs> <laughs> that's literally. I mean. Is that bad? I don't know. I mean, is it is it a con game or is it is he trying to give them legitimate information? What is he giving them other than what he's already said in v interviews and and like what? How is it a university? Like what is? He has people who, and that's where it's a grayer because I aren't there like professors? Hustlers, Hustlers University. University experience modern wealth creation. I haven't looked at this. I didn't know this was even real. Yeah, no, this is what he said. Like uh, a main... so so many grifters. Main business. Secure was. your spot for just $49 is your last chance to secure a spot or a discounted price. This weird countdown thing is such a Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, like my this, God. It was, it's have, just recycled. I only have one yeah, hour, yeah, 10 sure. minutes, and 36 seconds to sign up. And that's going to be 147. Jesus, you don't make enroll now, now, Jamie. You have only right, right. an hour Let's before this class. Enroll. Before this, before this Let's enroll. Let's enroll. What do we have to do? Uh, Click on that. Enroll now. Okay. What do we have to do? The real world has launched a completely matrix-independent platform where we teach you how to make money in the digital age. How do they teach you how to make money? You just hustle, man. You just hustle. So 600 bucks a year? It's also another thing, like this matrix thing which he has, which, again, I, I am a firm believer, based on my experience, like people are out to get you, they're out to get you. He also, if he committed these crimes, he's sort of brilliant, be like, they're coming for me in the next couple of days, because you know they're coming, and then your followers go, aha, he was right. right. It's like a self-fulfilling right. pro. Who knows? Right. But I will say, he goes too far, Like, and yeah, you'd think rational people be like, whoa, you're crazy, but there's a lot of... You know, and that's where anything's a slippery slope. He's also a wild dude that lives in the world of kickboxing, and that that is a wild group of people. I mean, you pay attention to like top flight kickboxers, like the Badrharis, and the. I mean, there's some Melvin Manhoof. There's some wild fucking people in that world. That is a crazy world, 
where there's not a lot of money and you're facing fucking straight up killers. And, you know, I mean, there, there's all sorts of different personalities in that world, but it's a different kind of human. They're, they're just wild, masculine, very aggressive people, you know, and that's that's part of his shtick. But he, if you want to use the word toxic masculinity, he's he's it. That Well, the the bad stuff that he said, it bodies that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what people are. That's why people are rooting for what he said to be true, because they don't want that. Right. But you're still crazy to root for that because you're not thinking about the victims that would be involved. You're basically that that means a lot of people were hurt. Well, it means if it's true, you want them to be punished. Correct. Like hoping that it's not true when it is true is not good either. No, but you know what I'm saying? Like if you're hoping that it's true. And it's not true, that's horrible because you are hoping for people to have been victimized. I see what you're saying. Yes, right. Yeah. I mean, you should never hope violent crimes are committed. Right. Absolutely. Agreed. Yeah, for sure. But you also hope that he's not accused of these things when it's just because of his bombastic personality and talking shit and getting all this attention, which he clearly has done. You got to wonder how much of it is sat. Like when you talk to Piers Morgan, that was a very interesting conversation because Piers confronted him on all these things and he did a great job of explaining what he does and why he does it. And, and, you know, it's like the guy went viral in a way that no one has. And so quickly. Yeah. In a while, what were like my 12 year old and my 14 year old were asking me about it. Yeah. No, he he was it. Yeah. All over TikTok and all over everything. And and if you just look at some of those little parts in a weird way. If your 12-year-old and 14-year-old right. are hearing some of uh, right. the outrageous, like nobody wants. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't even have a TikTok, I think. And he was like the number one guy on TikTok. Crazy. I think they probably banned him. Right? I mean, they banned him from everything. They banned him from Facebook. The only yeah. thing he's still on is Elon, Twitter. Yeah. Elon brought him back. Yeah. Which, uh, listen, I agree with. I think you should be able... I, I don't think banning people's the way i think this exchange with greta thurnberg is a perfect example of how to counteract that yeah like she just mocks him and 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 then he gets arrested and she has the fucking tweet of the year making fun of his arrest yeah and a fucking perfect one-liner that's what happens you don't recycle your pizza boxes yeah right it's genius that's why it's good that someone like that is on social media because you get you get a chance for people to participate in the conversation i agree i i go i go back and forth it's it because I am, you su- should go back and forth. Because you're a thoughtful guy. Yeah. Because it's it. like super free speech. Yeah. Like take Kanye for example. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm Jewish. I, I hated Kanye beforehand, but I, I think he's anti-Semitic. Like the things he's saying bother me. And there's a lot of people in my mind who follow Kanye. They're rabid Kanye fans, and the things he starts saying to me can leak down what is the the biggest thing that he said i know i, I know in general to me it, it, hitler wasn't a bad guy that was crazy like i i and what did he say what was he exactly he loves hitler or something like that he, he was loves with, everybody he was he with alex jones yeah. and alex jones was trying he was also to, wearing a mask yeah he was trying to throw him a lifeline yeah alex jones was trying to alex throw jones Kanye. was the voice of reason yeah and he's like no you don't mean hitler was a good guy he's like no 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 i well, well that's not what you mean <laughs> Yeah, Hitler's terrible. It, yeah, for Alex to to have to tell him Hitler was terrible is pretty funny. So if you're going down that way, I don't know. I it, think he's go- the way he's going down is he's never. I don't think he's experienced anything like. Of course, he's never experienced anything like this, right? Where is everything's taken away from him? 
I mean, he had to stop construction on his house. He's losing all of his money, all of his sponsorships. Everything's gone. Yep. All of his connections to all these businesses, connections to banks, everything's gone. It's kind of wild to see because we've never seen that before where a guy is a superstar and a billionaire and he says some awful shit and then everything's taken well, away from him. And this may be Kanye's personality. And in a way, he's also... You can listen to him talk many times, be like, he's a genius, he's brilliant, like the things he's saying. What he did, which may be unique, and some could say maybe they respect, he didn't take a step back. He kept saying things, and he wouldn't apologize, and now you could be like, well, if he didn't think he did anything wrong, but in the end... It came across, he's just, to me, very anti-Semitic. I mean, if you're defending Hitler, that's you've gone pretty far. I think he's also mentally ill. Well, he's bipolar. I think he yeah. said that, yeah. Well, I think he said recently he's not bipolar, but he might be autistic. But, I mean, it's self-diagnosis. He's He was definitely medicated at one point in time, right? Remember when he got kind of chubby and he was, like, really, yeah. like, sedated? But then he hated that. He didn't want to, he didn't want to be that. And then he got off of that and, you know, so- I had him on the podcast and— you get a chance to see how his mind works. It's like he, he works in these rants and he says something and he keeps talking and you got to like stop him. Wait, wait, wait. What did you just say? Like, what did you just say? You got to kind of bring him in, but he doesn't want to have a conversation. He wants a rant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, remember when he sat down and ranted with Trump like in front of Trump and was like saying that? You mean recently? No, way back in the day with the Make America Great Again oh. when he was in the office with, and Trump's just sitting there listening to him. God, he's yeah. saying a bunch of wild, crazy shit. And Trump's like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> like with Trump is being like the, the most persuasive, the best version of uh, Trump as a you know manipulator and a businessman. He's like letting Kanye. He's got because remember when Trump got elected, they invited all these celebrities to come to the celebration. Everybody's like, "Fuck that!" Right? Nobody went. Nobody went. Yeah. Kanye was the one guy that embraced Trump. Yeah, look at this. <laughs> he's sitting there with Jim Brown. And and he's like, mm, interesting. And he's like letting Kanye rant and and go off and say all this crazy shit with a Make America Great Again hat on. So like for him, the free that that's the thing with free speech. Like what play I said. some of that. Play he, some of that. Like Elon booted him for doing the Nazi. He yes. put a he made a Jewish star with the Nazi yes. symbol in it. Yes. And for Elon, that was the line. Right. So there's always a line, but that is. That is the complication of free speech. Yeah, he made fun of Elon. Elon said, that's okay. He said, but this is not okay. Correct. Yeah. 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 Which is just like, yeah. I mean, what are you doing? You're connecting the star, David? Like, listen, play some of this. Really, the reason why they imprisoned him is because he started doing positive for the community. (laughs) Look how Trump's like, yeah, "Mm, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, interesting. He wasn't just one of a monolithic voice, but he could wrap people around. So there's theories that there's infinite amounts of universe. <laughs> I'd love to know what's going on in Trump's head right yeah, now. Interesting, interesting. Hmm. Look at him nodding. I saw a picture like just a mouse running around on a circle in Trump's head right now as he's going around. 
like trying to occupy Look at himself. Him. Mm. I like how he has this like serious consideration. Like, mm. Mm. I interviewed yeah. Trump. They called me up. Yeah, and, and this is they want our crowd obviously to to do it. So this is when he was president. Right. Probably a lot of I got a lot of hate from it, but he pulled me. In. He pulled me in, and he when he realized I wasn't like out to get him, he opened up and he was nice to me. But he pulled me into this had a little like uh, souvenir room. Is what I would call it with like artifacts. He goes, Dave, Dave, come in here. And so I go into the little room. He looks at me, goes, This is the Monica Lewinsky room. He just started laughing. The Monica Lewinsky room. <sighs> what a time. Yeah. What a time to be alive with that guy was the president. How crazy is that? I mean, that to me, he changed like. It, here it is. Oh, yeah. Uh, nothing like the White House. You know the whole, it's the whole deal, right? How are you? <laughs> look, look. As a comedian, that guy was like the the greatest amount of ammunition and information, and the greatest resource a comic could ever hope so for. So before he was elected, I said I would vote for Trump because I of what you just basically said i'm like i hate politics i'm like i think i'll break it now did i anticipate like i, I the amount of hate in this country has gone both sides just well the, also the denying the results of the election that was where it got crazy because you know the saying the election was rigged and ever that's a threat to our the foundation of our democracy and if you i believe that if you're going to say the election was rigged you have to have rock solid very specific information that points to that that you could show the world and I don't think that was the case I don't I don't know how much election fraud exists I know it's less than zero it's not there's no election fraud there's fraud in everything if you don't think that there's people that are running uh, some sort of an election center that are democratic centered that wouldn't do something that they think would help the world by making sure that someone who they think is evil and a very threat to democracy itself, if that person gets into power, and you don't think that they would do something to suppress that, whether it's by making voting machines not work correctly or by suppressing ballots or by hiding ballots, there's unscrupulous people that exist. How many of them exist is the question. How much fraud was it on the Republican side? How much fraud was it on the Democratic side? Has it happened? Has election fraud happened in the history of humans? Absolutely. 100%. 100%. So the real question is, how much election fraud does exist and did it swing the election? I don't think he proved that. I don't think he had the information where he could show the United States, here's how I know for sure. Objectively, have someone who's just like a rock solid statistician, an, an analyst who can show you beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's a problem. And that that was the problem. I agree with that. And then when you got the fucking people that are these fucking MAGA people, and they're out there, and you got the FBI riling them up. You got guys like Ray Epps who is saying, "You need to go in there. We need to go in there. We right. need to take this place." And that guy is un not prosecuted, not arrested, not charged, and then the FBI has to have a conversation with Ted Cruz and he's saying did you have people in the FBI that were involved in that that were that, that were actively trying to rile people up and they won't answer that question my th my issue with it 
it's you alluded to it. I I think both sides. This is and, and this is actually sort of sad, but my view of politics, both sides are equally treacherous, and they're both going to do whatever it's they can. A dirty win. world. Yeah, they're gonna, both going to do whatever they can win to the election. So if one side's cheating, I think the other side's cheating. For sure. So guess what? Whoever wins and cheats the best, whatever. Game's over. That's it. They they outcheated you, if you want to Unless say that. Unless you can show that right. they cheated but, but, beyond a shadow of a doubt which he and hasn't. proved to the world, which he hasn't. Correct. And, and it, it's almost like the old... I mean, Trump, I think he's very, very, very smart. I don't think he gives a fuck about anybody but Donald Trump. And to be honest, I think most politicians, it's like the movie Gladiator when Maximus asks, he, he wants uh, Maximus to be the president of Rome. He's like, no, 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 I don't want that. He's like, that's why you got to be it. Because nobody with right. a brain would want to, who wants who this wants that headache? Job. Yeah, who wants that? that job. Yeah, so yeah. it's you end up with people who shouldn't know, have it. Exactly. Yeah, and those are the only ones that want to run. Exactly. Which is crazy. And that's the cycle, like yeah. this guy, Santos, which now I am finding funny, the guy from New York. Yeah, what, did, in, what happened with that guy? Because I'm his, only seeing headlines. His entire life is a lie. Is it bad? It's a, it's a meme now. Everything he it, said is a lie, apparently. He, 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 he said, you'll love okay. this. This, for a comedian, <laughs> a comedian couldn't do this. He said he's he said he was Jewish. Turns out he's not. He said, um, that, he clarified, I meant I was Jew-ish, like jew dash. I-S-H. One of the all-time answers. He said his mother died in the Holocaust. She Oh, 9-11, excuse me. She did not. His Two jobs that he said he worked. Called them both. No record of them. This guy is voting in Congress right now. They he, can't remove him? He, they can't. It, he is. He's just sticking with it. He's like, people have trust. I've actually come to, this is how fucked up our country is. I'm actually enjoying it from like, it, it's a whole, <laughs> the cameras are falling around. No one wants to sit with them. They don't know where he got the money for the campaign, but the, his is he a Republican or a Democrat? He's Republican. His entire life is a lie. Wow, all of it. Like there's not how one... did they not find that while he's running? Shows you how stupid politics, and he gets elected. It's crazy, and he's in Congress. Wow, what state? New York. Wow, wow. But I mean, you. So just and so, what do they have to do? They just let him ride out his term? I don't know. Uh, being looked at right now, like Attorney General's investigating some of the stuff. Depends on how egregious, you know, if he broke a law. <laughs> what kid, there's no law against lying yeah, about I everything? Think that, I, I think that's it. There's I, no law about lying against everything? Every And, and when <laughs> a lot of times people use like exaggerations, it's everything. Everything <laughs> about his life was a total lie. <laughs> but that's the kind of person that wants that kind of power. Right? Yeah. And he'll do anything to get it. Not only lying, like it's not hard to figure out. Like one second he says his mother died in 9-11 and then someone just digs up a tweet. Like here you are talking about your mother like after the fact. It's just crazy. But he's literally voting. They, there's cameras of him sitting down to vote, checking in. Oh my there was God. a video of him. Uh, the, all the cameras were waiting for him, and he's just kind of speed walking away. He just didn't know he was new to Congress. He just walked into a dead end and had to turn around and come back. Oh uh, that God. stuff makes me laugh, but it's actually kind of scary. It is scary, but it's also funny. Right. It is funny. If there's no consequences, it's scary because there are. Because that guy does get to vote, and he's completely full of shit, I guess. Understatement, yeah. Oh my yeah. God, George that's... Santos. I think that's the name. Oh George my Santos. God. 
Yeah. And he won't be the last. There'll be more like him. There's there's a fucking litany. There's a whole fucking line of those people that are full of shit. Yeah. And I don't lifetime beer cats, all that. I yeah. it's just it's a gross world. It really is. It's a gross, compromised world, and the only way to stop it is to get money out of politics. And how do you do that now? Who the fuck is going to sign off on that? I mean, who the fuck is going to sign off on getting rid of all the special interest groups, getting rid of all the lobbyists? No one. So it's like, that's why it was fascinating to see a guy like Trump get into power, because he was such an outsider. They didn't know how to do it. They, their brains were so trained, they didn't know how to deal with them. Yeah. Everything they thought, like the years and years of politics worked against them yeah like everything he did was not what they'd expect and they didn't know how to react to and it. the morons had a king yeah there's yeah. a lot of morons tons there's and it doesn't matter what he's saying like for them he represents them and he represents the anti of them. like he's not perfect but at least he's real yeah like there's that sort of thought process that he, he played with and also people that didn't they didn't feel represented by someone who was ever in charge and now this guy is and it's their guy and the I was. That's the part whether it's Tate, Trump, that is scary. And I'm sure you have this. Like I've been accused of shit that is just patently false. I feel like I've done an unbelievable job of having evidence and proof that's false. But I also know my audience is so attached to me. If I said I didn't do something, they'd believe me regardless. Well, you're an honest person. Yes, but you're not a perfect person. You're an honest person. A hundred percent. And you're honest about that. Yeah, I've always been, but I guess my point was it once you, eh, maybe not because this I've established my, the audience. What they don't, people don't need to like you. There's a lot of people that like all kinds of stuff that I don't like, and that's okay. But the problem is when people don't like someone like you because you represent masculinity, you represent gambling and sports and girls and money, and they don't like that. They don't like that, so they just like ah, like the yeah. automatic instinct instead of just going ah, that's not my thing. They just like, we got to take that guy down. And then, of course, when someone, that's their job. Their job is to write hit pieces. And those hit pieces get a lot of clicks, and that's what their, that's their industry. It's, that's what they do. That's what their job yeah, is. It's, a, it's the arena. I mean, yeah. I, I, the shocking part is just, again. I, it's shocking I, because we've never done it before, and now all of a sudden you're in the middle of it. And as an independent person, which you are, it's a, a rare spot where someone gets as much attention as you do and has as much power and influence as you do, but you're completely unconnected. Yeah. You can do whatever you want, and that's what's scary. That's where it gets wild. Yeah, to a degree. I mean, we are re – it's crazy. We're regulated. So, I mean, yeah. I, I still deal with – like I've always said for people who don't like me, the best thing that ever happened was we became this gambling company or associated because I – I can't be as unhinged or like right. I, I, I can't go after people in the manner I would like to I have to stay away for the <laughs> most part. Good for yeah, you. Yeah. Well, I no, it keeps me up because, yeah. you know, I am a petty. I like person. gambling. I don't gamble. I don't gamble much. I mean, I used to gamble uh, a lot on fights. I used to bet on fights. And Are you allowed to? I don't think I am now. I think now the UFC recently because of the oh, uh, there was a scandal, James right? Krause thing. But that was a fighter who was managing and training a fighter who was accused of telling people about an injury that could affect the outcome of a fight. And I don't know if it's true. I don't know what the evidence is. All I know is the allegations. But I know it's serious enough where they're investigating it. And it's serious enough where his fighters are not allowed to compete in the UFC anymore. So it's a really Seems big, really big deal because like... You know, I'm friends with people that just train at his gym that work at the UFC that now have to find a new gym, they feel. 
And I'm like, whoa, like you, but you just train there. It's a, g- a gym filled with fighters. Like you're not even allowed to train there anymore. Hmm. Or they feel like they're not allowed to train there anymore, I should say. Like Laura Senko, who's a, a top flight analyst, who's like, that's her gym. That's her, her home gym. And she's in this like situation. And there's a lot of fighters like uh, Brandon Moreno, who uh, is the, you know, one point in time was the flyweight champion. And now he has to find a new camp to train because he was trained by Kraus. Sports take it wildly seriously and naturally it's the integrity well, of the gambling game. yeah is, look if you're going to allow gambling which i think you should allow you have to make sure that there's no fucking bullshit yeah and that people aren't doing something like that where they're giving someone uh, uh, like letting them know this guy's going to lay down and then bet bet the house on this guy you yeah. know no you got to cut that off but i used to uh, gamble with my um my uh business partner and on it my friend Aubrey. So the way I would do it is like I used to gamble on the fights early on, like the the early days. The US, like the early two thousands. I would just go to the betting. I go, oh, nobody even knows about Anderson Silva. Like bet right, the fucking yeah, yeah. house on this guy. Bet the house on this guy. And I would do that. But then I thought about it for a while. I was like, maybe this isn't good for my commentary. Like maybe I'll be biased if I have like five hundred bucks on this guy or something. I'm like, I should probably stop doing this. Yep. So I just stopped doing it, and I would just tell Aubrey. And we were at one point in time, we we're like. 84% winning because if, this was back if you have the inside info if you wasn't know inside Anderson, info well, it was it was well, just know, Anderson Silva is Anderson Silva yes. before the general public I guess that's not inside it was bookmakers weren't obsessed with MMA the way right. I was they didn't know about Shudo they didn't know about ring and rising and K1 and all these different there's just so many different organizations that people were fighting for overseas deep and yep. like if you're gonna know real fighters like the, the like what a person's capable of i firmly believe you have to have some training yourself you have to be able to see like where the openings are or whether, whether or not someone's doing something special and, and you have to be obsessed with it and if you're not obsessed with it you're you're basing it on records and how well this guy fought without knowledge of whether or not a person was committed and whether you know there's there's guys that are underdogs that i look at them like how the fuck is that guy an underdog right and they wind up dominating i'm like this is a crazy line still to this day yeah to this day there's bad lines where i see them i'm like oh my like you gotta look at that guy like if that guy's in shape and he's training and i heard he is like that guy's a motherfucker man like yeah people are in trouble and a lot of these guys who, at least in the beginning, that were making the lines, they didn't really know what the fuck was going on. That's natural. It'll catch up, yeah. obviously, as MMA has exploded. You knew I was on the wrong side of Meatball Molly. Well, I had a feeling. <laughs> yeah, you gave me the Aaron look. Blanchfield is a bad Yeah, she's got a big fight ball. coming up, Aaron, Ooh. right? Uh, I believe so. Who's Aaron Blanch- Blanchfield? I think she's fighting, fighting somebody pretty good. Well, I followed her a little bit because I obviously watched that. That girl is elite, man. She's a she's a future world champion. She's fucking elite. When I saw that she was lined up with Meatball Molly, and I saw that you were like you you bet some money on me. Well, she's our girl. I, know. I love her. I love she her just, too. She just got engaged. Congrats, Molly. She's a beast. She's really fucking good. But but Aaron Blanchfield's on another level. There's levels, and there's. Talia Santos. Ooh, Talia Santos is good. Yeah, that's what I heard. That's that a big fight. fight. Fight night. What, what night is that? Mmm, that's a good fight. That's a very good fight. Talia Santos is no joke. So that, in that fight, you'll see. You'll see. You know, like if she beats her, like, ooh, that's a fast track to the title. And, you know, she's young and super technical. Her technique is so sharp. So that's why... When I came up to you, and once you, it was on the ground, I was it was like, done. Dude. Yeah, I'll give Molly credit. She took about nine thousand shots before yeah. she submitted. But. Yeah, she got, she got, she got owned. 
But that's just, you know, that's it. That's how the sport goes. There's levels, you know, there's levels. And, you know, sometimes a fighter just finds their fucking groove, like Charles Oliveira. Like for the longest time, he was, he had the, the accusation of being a quitter. You know, that was the, the, the rub on him. It was like when the shit got hard, he would fall apart. And then all of a sudden he didn't. And all of a sudden he started dominating everybody. And all of a sudden he knocks out Michael Chandler, submits Justin Gaethje. He's the motherfucker of motherfuckers. Yeah. You know, it's like you never know with fighters. Like it's like it's their skill set and their mindset and where they're at in life. Like you remember when Buster Douglas fought Mike Tyson? Oh, Nobody yeah. thought he had a goddamn chance. But Buster Douglas's mother died before that fight. Co combo with Tyson's life was falling apart. Tyson's life was falling apart. Buster, Buster Douglas was always super fucking talented. It wasn't just that, you know, Mike Tyson's life was falling apart. It's like Buster Douglas was a bad man. He just didn't commit himself to yeah. boxing like he could have. He was like many super talented people. He just didn't go all in. There's some super talented people that just skate by because they're able to. You know, there's like Khabib said that. Khabib Nurmagomedov said that the talented guys it's too easy for them and that you want the guys that are just willing to just grind and work hard and they eventually overcome the talented guys because they just have this mindset where they can suffer and they can train and they can get up in the morning and do it again they're dedicated and they don't drink and they don't party i mean Kimi makes all those guys cut their hair a certain length and like they there's no fucking around yeah. in his gym and that's why he's Nurmagomedov. that's why he's one of the goats if not the goat and that's why he retired undefeated because he had that unstoppable commitment that discipline that championship drive and some really talented guys don't they just don't for whatever reason they just they, they it comes too easy in the beginning or they they're you know they're trying to chase pussy or they want to you know hang out with their boys and party too much and it's also once you're a top harder to stay there it's like the old what who was it marvin Hagler? like yep you don't yep. do road work in silk pajamas or mm -hmm. something like silk that sheets yeah. yeah marvin Hagler used to go to provincetown fucking run in the snow yeah he's he, that's commitment that's that's like championship mindset that's he's the epitome of that marvin Hagler was the fucking man he was the guy that like outworked everybody, and yeah. he was the guy that like always had a chip on his shoulder because he always thought that they all looked past him. And then when he knocked out Tommy Hearns, he's like, "What's up now?" Yeah, that was like the best fight. Oh my god, what a fight that was! Unbelievable. But Hagler had a chin, man. He had a fucking chin, like he could take it better than anybody ever. He fought John the Beast Mugabe, who was knocking out everybody, and Hagler just kept beating the fuck out of him. And eventually broke him, and Mugabe was never the same again. Yeah. After he beat up Mugabe, but that's the, I mean, obviously Hager was super talented too, and one of the best switch hitters ever in boxing, other than Terrence Crawford, who I think is like right up there. Terrence Crawford, he switch hits better than anybody. He so you watch every boxing match then? I too. watch a lot yeah. of boxing. I watch way more MMA, and I watch a lot of kickboxing, but I watch, I still watch a lot of boxing. Yeah. I grew up on boxing, so I mean, I watch them both, but. Terrence Crawford. And um, Earl Spence Jr., that's the fight. God, I hope they make that fight. I mean, I know Terrence just won, you know, and then they're trying to figure out a way to make that fight happen. I don't know what the holdup is. That's the biggest difference. Well, maybe not biggest, but what, in my mind, MMA, boxing, is the best guys always fight in MMA. Boxing, in the, in the you UFC, may not get it. But you have to be in the UFC. Like, we never got Fedor Emelianenko. Right, you got to be in the UFC. Yeah, right. Fedor Emelianenko, when he was the king of pride, he was the baddest fucking heavyweight that ever lived. He was so good, dude. He was so scary and so stoic, and he could submit you or he could knock you out, and god damn, he was good. That's, to me, the biggest regret 
of all of MMA is not seeing Cain Velasquez versus Fedor Emelianenko when Fedor was in his prime. I would have given anything to see that. I would have flown to Japan to see that fight. I would have loved to see that fight. That was, to me, the, the biggest tragedy, was we never saw Fedor in his prime come over to the UFC. And by the time he went to Strike Force, he was already, I think, miles, you know, miles on the odometer, hard fights, brutal, brutal, brutal fights that he had in Pride. I just don't think he was the same guy. I don't think that would happen now. It could happen now. You think there could be a guy yeah, who could, you could be have that a guy, good who's not in the UFC? Yep. Yeah, you could have a guy in Bellator that's dominating everybody and just decides he, Bellator's giving him a lot of money and he doesn't want to go over to the UFC. You could have a you got guys in one championship now that are fucking elite. They're straight up killers. They're they're as good as anybody alive and they just they fight over in Asia. And uh, they just haven't gotten the fanfare and the people behind them like, say, uh, some of the fighters have in the UFC. The UFC is the biggest organization in MMA, period. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you're not a UFC champion, even if you're elite, even if you're fantastic, there's always going to be that thing that's attached to you that you never fought in the UFC. Which is why I didn't think that would happen because UFC has progressed so much. It has, but there's still guys that for whatever reason they don't make it over here they they maybe one fc gives them a bigger contract maybe they feel like they can shine over there more maybe they have less stringent drug testing which is a very big factor an undeniable factor if you have an organization that doesn't have something like usada or people showing up at your doorstep at 6 30 in the morning yeah. and waking you out of bed and making you take a piss test and making you take a blood test then you don't know if you're just doing a, a drug test after the weigh-in, that's just an intelligence test. That's just a scientific test. That's like, do you have a good team behind you? Right. Because the early days of the UFC, there was a lot of guys doing steroids, and they still passed drug tests because they, they knew how to cycle off where when they got to the weigh-in and they knew what was getting tested for and whatnot. There was camps that had scientists that were involved in the camps. That these And I know this for a fact. There was camps that had doctors who knew exactly what you could take and what you couldn't take and how much to take and when to take it Why wouldn't and you? when to get it. Why wouldn't you? Because the, 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 the rub was that everybody was doing it. And then USADA came along and you saw physiques melt. You saw dudes who were just fucking mm -hmm. and they I mean, I, it, I would take, if I thought I was going to get caught, I would take steroids in two seconds. Especially if everybody else was taking it. Yeah. Especially. I mean, I, that that's one thing I've never whether it's baseball anything. If you told me I could take a steroid and become the best at what I do, I and I do it in two seconds. If you're in a sport where everybody's doing it, like if you're in a sport like bodybuilding, which you could say is a sport or not a sport, but you know because they're, they're competing just by based it on the way they look. I think it's still a sport, but it's a, it's complicated. If you have a sport like bodybuilding and everyone's doing steroids, and you say I'm not going to do steroids, well, guess what? You're not going to win. Right. You're not going to win. You're not going to be in. You can't be Dorian Yates. You can't be Ronnie Coleman. You can't be those guys unless you're taking steroids. That's just the sport. And that's like where a lot of sports are right now. There's certain sports like grappling. Gordon Ryan, who's the greatest grappler of all time, openly admits to taking performance-enhancing drugs. Openly talks about it because everybody's doing it. And he's just honest. He's just like, yeah, I take them. Everybody's taking them. They're not illegal in our sport. And if you look at him, he looks like yeah. a guy who takes performance-enhancing drugs. He looks like a fucking Greek god. But you can't look at him. That's Gordon Ryan. I mean, not only is he the greatest. He looks like Zeus. He's the greatest of all time, and he's only 27 years old. What, what but is that he? Spray paints his beard? 
Uh, no, he uh, he died. He bleached blonde his hair. Or yeah, he, he looks like Zeus. He looks like he could be yeah. uh, with the lightning bolt. But look at the fucking build on that guy. And on top of that, he's the most dedicated, the most intelligent, the most technical, and he's trained by the best guy. I mean, he's he's the baddest motherfucker what that's ever grappled. What sport is that? Jiu-jitsu. Oh. He's the greatest no-gi no jiu-jitsu competitor that's ever lived, for sure. Everybody admits it. Everybody's scared of him. He dominates everybody. He's won like 50-plus matches in a row, now, which is unheard of. Now, why would a guy like that not go UFC? Because of the drug testing? No, because he won Well, he could go to one FC. He could go to one of these organizations that doesn't test like that. But I think because he's not a striker and because he's dominant in jiu-jitsu and he thinks that he could be like like a Tony Hawk of jiu-jitsu, like a guy who he rises past he, – he like passes the sport itself and he becomes like an icon – for what that sport is and becomes pop and he is he's making millions of dollars without fighting in MMA without getting the brain damage and Dominating in his art and what he, what he's dedicated to hmm. I mean you could say it's all performance enhancing drugs But that's not correct because it's if also his, his tech it. everybody's doing it and it's his, it's not everybody There's some like younger guys like the Rutolo brothers who are totally clean But you know they're 19 years old in a lower weight class, but he's a heavyweight and if you if you just look at all the elite guys in the sport, when you go to Abu Dhabi and you look at the, the best guys that are competing, so many of them are on shit. Most of them are on shit. They're well, if you're not testing for it, right. you'd be a moron not to be on it. To be able to train every day the way a guy like Gordon does, and I mean every day. He trains 365 days a year. Christmas, birthday, fuck you, show up. Everybody shows up. And his coach, John Donaher, is not just one of the most brilliant guys that has ever coached anybody, but he's one of the most brilliant guys I've ever talked to. He was a professor of philosophy at Columbia and got obsessed with jiu-jitsu and started training and then teaching it and then became the greatest jiu-jitsu coach literally the world's ever known. Hmm. And the two of them together are this unstoppable force. So to attribute all that just to performance-enhancing drugs is crazy. But to say that it doesn't play a part in it is also untrue. It, there's a factor because the way he's able to train the, one of the things like if you are on performance enhancing drugs Your recovery right. is way better So you're able to train far more than someone who's not on those things yeah. on top of that his nutrition's on point on top of that his His recovery all the stuff that he does to, to get better. I mean, he's doing everything He's doing everything right and you can't stop it never heard of him. He's the motherfucker dude I believe it just looking at him. He's the motherfucker Everybody like he he has these that's him when he was like 17. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah <laughs> Yeah to like whatever he's in his early 20s there. Yeah for sure on some shit and Openly admits it, but so are the guys he's competing against. I know for a fact The guy he's dominated guys that are also on performance enhancing drugs This is like the bodybuilder conversation like you can't compete as a pro bodybuilder unless you are doing something the, your your body's not supposed to be that right. big right and there's also this acknowledgement like you're doing very serious damage to your body you're getting yourself dehydrated down to like zero water and like 1% body fat do you so follow bodybuilding very little very little i mean just peripherally yeah yeah but i follow it enough to like look at their physiques and go jesus right. fucking well though i mean the bodybuilder physiques are they're like cartoons and they keep getting bigger like who won the world the mr universe this year the, these guys are fucking preposterously huge they're cartoonish 
they're so enormous. Like you, you can't even imagine a human being. You can't attain those levels of physique naturally. Right. Even if you are like Ronnie Coleman didn't even start taking steroids till he was 30 because he had superior genetics. His genetics were off the chart. But when I had him on the podcast, he talked about it. He goes, I still couldn't beat the best of the best until I started doing steroids. But he talks about it very openly about how it changed. But he was still, even up to the point where he was 30 years old, was phenomenal. That's the guy. Jeez. Yeah, I, I mean, that's like, this is even five that's years ago. way <laughs> too much. What the fuck, man? Who is that guy? Hottie Coupin? Coupin? Hottie Coupin. Now, does this guy look himself Ooh. in the mirror and think he looks good? Uh, that's what he wants to look Ch like. Maybe it's Chupin. Chupin? Chupin? But, I mean, that's what he wants to look like. God damn. He wants to be a bodybuilder. I mean, does he look good? Yeah. No, he doesn't. He does as a bodybuilder. Yeah, as a bodybuilder. That's why he wins. As you just don't think he looks good as like a regular human. I, correct. Well, like as a girl looking at that, being like, "Oh, he's a some girls." No way. Yeah, for sure. There's freaks, gym freaks who want to get stuffed by a giant warrior. That's not a warrior. <laughs> that, that, but that's what it looks like. Honestly, I could. I didn't like. even know that was a cartoon. That's what he looks look like. at that. That's what he looks like. Jesus Christ! Look at the fucking Insane. thighs on that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that sport. Yeah, right. I mean, that's what you're trying to achieve. You're trying to achieve Dorian Yates, you know? You ever see Dorian Yates? No. Dorian Yates was one of the first guys that was just super massive. Super massive. And I had him on the podcast, too. And he's honest about drug use as well, but it's also dedication. His dedication was unsurpassed. Well, it, it is, Look at the size of him. Well, Jesus. Imagine if he was in Do front of on the, the podcast. Muscles. Well, if this I, guy's on the podcast being like, no, I'm natural, you'd be like, what, are you crazy? Right. Well, that's like the liver king thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> but that, but you look at him there, I'm like, holy fucking shit, was he jacked. Look at that. Jesus. But he's not like that now. Now he looks like that. Now he's just a fit guy who's like normal physique. Like if you saw that guy on the beach, you wouldn't say that's a preposterous physique. No, You'd say that no. guy, that's a guy who's in great shape. Yeah. He looks good. Still and using steroids? Fuck. No, no, no. But he does take testosterone replacement. But he doesn't bodybuild anymore. I mean, he just trains for health now. He's a very intelligent guy, a very interesting guy. I really enjoyed talking to him. And uh, smokes a lot of weed. It's interesting. It's like popcorn muscles. Yeah. I mean, that. So that's him later? Yeah, I guess. Oh, that's him early in his career. Early, early before I he got super I still think jacked. he's taking steroids on the right. Well, no, he's he's on testosterone replacement. I mean, that, you you kind of have to on the right. As I mean, he's in his sixties. That's why I'm saying. he's- But there's also like when you do those amount of steroids, your endocrine system shuts down. You stop producing testosterone. So you got to take it. You have to take exogenous testosterone. There's no, no way around it. Crazy sport. Yeah. Well, you have to be crazy yeah. to do it. You yeah, like to I mean, see that yeah. and be like, I want to do that. Yeah, there's something weird going on to you, but to them, no. Like that's what they want. Like, well, you could say that about every. Any, you can say that about football. Like if you're gonna you're gonna get brain damage, you want to do that, and they go, but I want the glory. I want that pink Lamborghini. I want the, the well. Fucking you could use that logic with anything. Watch, but, but but that's brain damage. They're getting brain damage, and these guys are getting giant, and they're doing kidney damage. I don't think a normal himself. human, though, like to me, it like I just look at that picture, and I'm not like, I want, I want that. No, and I don't think 99 percent of humans are like, I want that. Like you see, I see a good looking guy, a good looking girl. It's just inherent, like handsome, pretty, attractive. That no, no. 
No, I, I think for most people, no. Right. But also, that's not what they they want. That totally. Yeah. That's why they do it. Yeah, it's not normal. I mean, it's also it's body dysmorphia because totally. a lot of those guys don't think they're big. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. They look in the mirror and they're like, I look fucking great. Or they think they look small. Like a lot of those guys which think is, they look small, which is crazy. Yeah, that is what you said. That's like a pretty girl looks in the mirror and is like, I look fat. It's like, what are you talking about? That right. same, same vibe. Yeah, body dysmorphia. Yeah. 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 People are weird. <laughs> Understatement. Yeah. There's a lot of, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of, lot of strange people. Well, there's a lot of people that do it like that, and they don't, they're not even competing. They're just trying to get bigger and bigger and bigger. You know? You, you ever Rich Piana? You ever heard of that guy? No. He was this guy who would take ungodly, he died young. He took ungodly amounts of steroids. And I forget what his like uh, his like catchphrase was or something about, you know, I forget, I forget what it was. But it was just basically saying that he was trying to be, like, look at the size of him on the right. Look at that, that one where he's got his uh, hands on the, the equipment on the yeah, upper yeah. right. Like, what the fuck, man? Like preposterously huge, preposterously, and on everything, and also open about being on everything, and you know, died young. I think he died because of steroids. Yeah, I'm not giving these guys look at the size of that guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm not giving these guys necessarily credit for openly admitting to be on steroids. Like, no, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why? What are you doing? Jesus Christ. He's sticking him out because of his arm. But. Yeah, he's, his knees are below his arms. It's crazy. They post him out. But Jesus, the size of that guy. Hmm. And how did, how old did he was he when he died? I feel like he was like 40. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. I think he just redlined his system till it just boom. Uh, 2017, so he would have been 47. Yeah, 47 and just preposterously jacked. So he won a bunch of physique competitions. Mr. Teen California, Cal- Mr. California, National Physique Committee competitions. But, you know, mostly he was like an online famous guy for being super jacked, which is like a lot of these, you know, social media influencers that that's a, that like becomes their business is to become super jacked or super shredded. And, you know, then they're committed to this. And yeah. They're online. You find it. your lane, I guess. I guess. Be gigantically, preposterously huge. Yeah, Every, that's... <laughs> find your lane. Yeah, that's his lane. It's a wild lane to be in. It's a strange lane to be in, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> Dave Portnoy, we just talked for like three plus hours. Oh, really? Yeah. So I was wondering that. How much time's gone by? Three. And so a half I was hours. looking at all past episodes because yeah. I know you go super long. Yeah. And if one's like two hours versus four, does the two mean you just ran out of stuff? Sometimes uh, it's just the conversation's over, and sometimes someone has to go somewhere. You Got know? it. Like sometimes someone doesn't have three hours, you only have two. Yeah. So I was like, if I'm in the two, you I was going to take about that? Well, I was like, that means it didn't go well. <laughs> it went great. Yeah, so we got, it went the, great. we got in the sweet spot. It Good. was fun. I enjoyed yeah. talking to you. Same, same. Hey, thanks for being here, man. I enjoyed it. All right, fun times. All right. All right we'll do I it again asked sometime. all over your table. I did, way. too. It's all I'm good. Good. We'll do it again. All right. Bye, sure. everybody. <laughs>